Welcome to the Advent Calendar House. This year, Christmas Eve is special because it also happens to fall on a Scrooge Sunday. So after my Christmas in July season over the summer, I let y'all decide what the dickens we should watch. So I ran a poll asking to choose between four different versions, and the winner with nearly half the vote is the version we're covering today, the 1984 TV movie A Christmas Carol, starring George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. I am usually absent father with a hilariously tall pilgrim hat and no desire to spend Christmas with my own son, Mike Westfall. And joining me, opting not to hide and surprise us when we get home from church, it's Aaron Evans. Hey, Aaron. That's me. <laughs> God blesses everyone. Yes. Also here is not so portly gentleman looking for donations while on a break from tending to his crime-fighting vigilante ward. It'll make sense. It's Joey O. Hey, Joey. I can't wait to talk about McGregor syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> And the proud winner of sassiest ghost of Christmas present I've yet to meet. Please welcome back Anthony Strand. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Mike. Thanks. I'm so excited to talk about the price of corn. (laughs) 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 Thank you all as always for being here. People love this version of A Christmas Carol. I will admit it had been a while since I last watched this. But first, I want to hear about your histories with this. And we will start with Anthony. Okay, so this, I, I think you know because you invited me on here because this is my favorite version of A Christmas Carol. I think it's, like, even though they changed some of the details, like I, I mentioned the corn thing. There's a lot of talk about corn in this movie. Sure is. And no talk about corn in the book at all is is not mentioned. That aside, I feel like it captures the tone of the book just about better than any other adaptation. And it has been my favorite since I was in high school. Definitely. And I'm 38 now. So I think I first saw this on like WGN. Okay. Just on cable on, you know, some December afternoon. And I, even, even back then I loved Muppet Christmas Carol. I loved Mickey's Christmas Carol and all that, but this might've been the first like fully human version of a Christmas Carol that I ever saw. Okay. You know, I was I was pro- probably 13 or something the first time I saw it. And I just loved it. I just I didn't really know who George C. Scott was, but this movie made me a fan cuz I think he's he's such a delightfully evil Scrooge. <laughs> so, yeah, I I've, I've loved it forever and I I I've only ever owned it on VHS and it looks like my VHS might be dying, so Oh dear. I might have to invest in a new copy. Yeah, do that. Make sure you get that. Always good to have a have a physical copy of, of these old things. Joey, have you seen this one before? Not until this week. I'd never seen it. 
Wow. Okay, I thought so. I was comparing it in my head to all the other versions. I'm remembering, okay, like how does this scene play out in the Patrick Stewart version versus, you know, uh, Michael Caine doing this scene. And I mean, I've always said that the definitive and my favorite version is Mickey's Christmas Carol. But Mm -hmm. that is such a short, like, run through the whole story that whenever I see it done in full, I'm like, oh, yeah, all these scenes happen. Because I don't think I've read the book since seventh, eighth grade. Oh, wow. Okay. Aaron, had you seen this before? I am surprised I had not. I I was born in 1980. I didn't realize it was even during my lifetime. I thought it was before. Because, um, you know, George C. Scott, you're like, okay, General Patton, whatever. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, was, um, I was surprised I actually hadn't seen it because I very much enjoyed TV movies in my youth. And it's a really well done version. I read Christmas Carol in seventh grade. And I'm like, okay, well, this, you know, so I have a little bit of of knowledge of, okay, what, what follows the actual book more than, than another version. Obviously Mickey's Christmas Carol, it holds a special place in my heart. We (laughs) quote it year long. Um, (laughs) um, One of the highlights of Disney world when we went um, was, was the dioramas. Yes. Um, yes. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we went we went at the start of, you know, the 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 Christmas season. Um, the dioramas from the actual like depicting these scenes from Mickey's Christmas Carol, however. Yeah. And and also love the Muppets version with Michael Caine, obviously. Um, my favorite is Patrick Stewart one. But I I was a little sad that he didn't win that <laughs> the poll. <laughs> but I mean Maybe it's maybe it's just because of the affinity of Patrick Stewart. Again, I, I'm 43, um, so he's he's been on my TV a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and he always seems to just go for it. Have, has a lot of like joy in whatever he's doing, even if he's you know trying to to tell a ghost that he's you know just just something caught in his teeth, you know whatever. But <laughs> yeah, the the George C. Scott, I, I found him to be. Really good. Um, very surprised I did not see it before now. Yeah, I'll, for for what it's worth, the Patrick Stewart one did come in second. It was a rather distant second, but it came in second. So, so uh, if if I can say one thing about that movie, Patrick sure, Stewart, which yeah. I love also, it has my favorite version of Fezziwig's Christmas Party. With, okay, with yep. Ian McNeese and Annette Badland as Mister <laughs> Mrs. Fezziwig, <laughs> and they're like they seem like they have so much fun together. Like I. I, I like the whole movie, but that scene is like, that's if I could stitch together my like hall of fame, all time Christmas Carol. Oh, that's the, that's the scene from that version that would make it. All. That's yeah. a good project. I'm I'm going to have to write that one down. We did. Sure. We, we did like a draft of, of roles from different ones. We did way back when we started uh, in 2017, but, but scenes, I like that idea. I may do that. <laughs> like if I ever decide to, th- to wrap this up, which is far in the future as far as what I have planned out. It's just like, <laughs> there are so many Christmas specials that I want to talk about. So, but I can just see that in my head, like, you know, like, like, Oh, spirit, tell me who's grave. And then, and then why it's yours. I don't know. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> I don't remember watching this one as a kid. I remember discovering it maybe 2004-ish, 2005-ish, when I got more interested in finding different versions of A Christmas Carol. And this was one a lot of people had cited as being among the very best. So I'm not surprised it won the poll. 
maybe a little surprised that it won by so much. It got 47% of the vote. And 1999 with Patrick Stewart got 26%. Have to wait for another Sunday, I'm afraid. But (laughs) one interesting note about this version of A Christmas Carol was that it was directed by Clive Donner, who worked as an editor on the 1951 movie Scrooge starring Alastair Sim. And a couple years after this, he directed another TV Christmas movie I want to cover eventually, Babes in Toyland, the one with Drew Barrymore. And Keanu Reeves. That's the one and I And Keanu up Reeves, ah. yep. Oh, yeah. He also directed Oliver Twist with George C. Scott in it a couple of years before this. Oh, that's right. Uh, for TV. with George C. Scott was Fagin, which I haven't seen it. I don't know how that is. Uh, seems questionable, frankly. But... Um, so this was their second Dickens adaptation together in a row. Okay. I don't think I saw that one either, but I have it pictured in my head. It's probably one of those, like, I remember seeing a commercial for it on some tape somewhere. But this adaptation of A Christmas Carol premiered December 17th, 1984, a Monday night on CBS, which means Scarecrow and Mrs. King, Kate and Alley, and Newhart would not be seen that night. But in the UK, they released it in theaters. I was thinking that, like, wait, this was a TV movie? Like, how was this not a movie movie? Because, again, I had no idea it was within my own lifetime. I was four years, four months. Um, (laughs) But uh, when it aired, I I can't. It just seems like so revered that it had to have always been. And I I would never have known it, it wasn't an actual theater film, you know? Yeah, it's very cinematic. It really is, and I'm not sure why they decided to eh, make it a TV movie over in the states. But well, like I mean, I like I said, the Oliver Twist thing—that's two years earlier. That aired on CBS as well. Yeah, maybe they had a deal. Yeah, I think it's just like part of a series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to watch this, it's on a few places like Tubi and the Roku channel. If you're fine dealing with modern commercials, I couldn't find any copies with original commercials, unfortunately. Oh, I was going to say, it's also on Amazon Prime, like, without commercials. That That's where I watched it. Okay, yeah. I, like, I even saw a couple of uploads on YouTube and I think the Internet Archive. But back in the day when this first aired in 1984, it was sponsored by IBM, which purchased a spot in every commercial break. And someone uploaded only the commercial breaks from the original <laughs> airing on YouTube. So if you ever wanted to, like, switch back and forth between windows and stitch this together to get an original 1984 experience, you could do that and maybe expect to hear one of those a little later. Because when you think of Dickensian times, you think of IBM technology in the 80s. That's right. <laughs> but let's go. We open to church bells and very eerie music over a very foggy, snow-covered London street as we follow a hearse carrying the recently deceased Jacob Marley, who, as usual, is dead as a doornail. We are told this by our narrator, who also plays Scrooge's nephew Fred. It's Roger Reese. Yeah. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of this story I am going to relate. What else do y'all know Roger Reese from? Oh, he is Robin Colcord of Cheers fame. He sure is. Okay. And this is the second time you and I have talked about Rebecca Howe now on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, um, so he's he is Robin Colcord. And of course, he's the Sheriff of Rottingham. The Sheriff yes. of Rottingham. Yep. In 
Mel Brooks's Robin Hood. But um, my wife's favorite show, I think favorite show of all time is Warehouse 13. Okay. Uh, in which Roger Rees was the big bad in the first season, the character named oh, okay. Pearson. So uh, f- for my wife, Roz, if nothing else, I have to shout out Warehouse 13 <laughs> because that show is on in my house all the time. I've probably <laughs> seen him in that role more than any other, like except for this one, maybe. I feel like that was a show that my in-laws watched. And so I would see like bits and pieces of it over there. But sure. Here, here's the thing about Warehouse 13. Yeah, it's pleasant. OK, <laughs> it is. It's what it's like. Yeah. A sci-fi show is like the USA Blue Skies type of show. Exactly. Ah, yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It's one of those. It's it's like it's like uh, the show that it reminds me of most is Leverage, but sci-fi probably, I would say. Hmm. It's very like team of heist do-gooders kind of, you know, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Roger Reese has a zillion credits on. Oh, yeah. You probably saw him on the West Wing a couple episodes. Sure. Yeah. He's the British ambassador on the West Wing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I remember he did some cartoon voice work back in the day, too. Oh, I didn't even look up his voices. I was too focused on, ah, Sheriff of Rottingham. Oh, uh, other thing. Cheers. <laughs> the other thing. <laughs> Cheers got demoted to the other thing. <laughs> That's how it goes. Time comes for us all. Yeah, yeah well, yep. <laughs> uh, but before we meet Fred, we cut from Marley's hearse to a much more joyful Christmas Eve seven years later. We got people singing carols in a marketplace. One of the singer's suits and top hats looks so Dickensian. He looked like he was dressed like Gonzo as Charles Dickens. <laughs> or Timothy Chalamet as Willy Wonka. One of the two. Same costume. Same costume. They're interchangeable. Yep. They didn't have to alter that outfit at all. Same, same size. size. <laughs> They're the same size. <laughs> we see the sights and sounds of Christmas Eve morning as the credits roll. I enjoyed looking through the window at a bunch of wind-up automatons. Oh, no. No, 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 no. But they were creepy. No. They were very, there was the one that looked like, um, I mean, forgive me for saying this, but Lady Lane Fairchild is very creepy to begin with. <laughs> and there was one that looked like, like someone made that puppet creepier. So... <laughs> well, this season's come full circle. <laughs> but we finally enter Scrooge's counting house and first meet Bob Cratchit, played by the late, great David Warner. Seven years ago today. What's that you say? Mr. Marley died seven years ago this very day. The best. Who has been in so many things, but how do y'all know him best? Well, as I kept saying to Aaron, if you recognize David Warner's face, I picture him as the scientist in Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> but my favorite role, of course, is when he was the voice of he who is called Raish Agul Detective on Batman the Animated Series. It's funny because you said the voice and I was I did truly didn't know if you were going to say Batman or uh, the lobe on Freakazoid, like oh yeah, he was on Freakazoid. He, oh yeah, because he was he was incredible in that. He was he was the archmage on Gargoyles. He was on Gargoyles. So, was, oh um, wait, is he? Is he the one who says like bend the rules without breaking it, and he eats the book. <laughs> is that yeah. the scene from Gargoyles? That's him too. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing that I always think of David Warner from first is Time Bandits, where he plays like the devil character, where he gets the speech about how like God wasted all his time with banana slugs 20 different species of parrot nipples for men <laughs> if it had been up to me it would have been lasers day one 8 a.m or whatever and um 
that's all great. But that and then his various Star Trek roles. He's Chancellor Gorkon in Star Trek Six. He's the the um, Cardassian who tortures Picard that's in it. Uh, Chain of Command parts one and two. Right there are four lights. That's that. Uh, he's the guy. That's what I've been asking. I'm like, I'm like, okay, no, I, I know, I know that we know him from Secret of Ooze. I know this, I know, <laughs> but we just saw him in something, and it was within the last nine months. And and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll never remember, I'll never forget that again. And I've been forgetting it. I'm like, what, what? He was the the Cardassian who was torturing Picard. One of the, okay. I mean, yeah. it's not like a fun time, but it's one of the. No, but it's, but it's like one of the most intense and effective episodes. Absolutely, it's, yeah. it's memorable. You know, that off all lights and all that. Right, know? right. Well, and so, you, you see, I'm trying to weave as much Picard into this as as possible. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is what's what's amazing about that episode is you need an actor who can match Patrick Stewart. Yes, and and they got David Warner to do it. Yeah, you know, it is. like it's it's the best. He's the greatest. I just knew I had seen something on TV and we discussed something and I'm like, what was it? And and I'm not someone who, you know, goes to IMDb every time we see anything on TV. <laughs> sure. um, so I, I tried to use my, my brain power, which is why I am good at Jeopardy. So it's, you there know, you go. That's, that, that's, that's why I was struggling because I'm like, we saw it. I'll know it when I hear it. And that was it. Sure. Before his death, David Warner did a random roles for the AV club that you definitely should check out. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. With, with yeah. Will Harris, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, who Will wrote Harris. that? Yeah. Um, wow. But what I was going to say is not all of those roles we just said are villains, but most of them are. I was going to say, my go-to is Tron. So. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but that's what I love. Because he would, David Warner, as far as I know, never played Scrooge. Mm -hmm even though he would have been incredible. Oh, you know, he would have been, been good. Um, but he's so sweet and charming as Bob Cratchit in this movie. He is like, it's the part he was born to play. And then yeah. they're giving him all of these villain roles. Right. And it's just like, he's, he's crushing it as Bob Cratchit. Yeah. We see him looking out the window at all the Christmas Eve revelry, remarking how Jacob Marley has been dead for seven years now. But we hear Scrooge tell him from off camera to return to his work. And of course, Cratchit tries to put another coal in the very meager fire. But Scrooge shouts at him, Mr. Cratchit. And now we meet our guy. So can we just say up front that George C. Scott is from Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how Southern this was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, he's... he's very, very good. He's very good. Like, I think his act, I mean, I'm not British, obviously, but like, it does not read like an American playing Scrooge. It's just, no. it's just. Scrooge. No. Yeah. No. It's, I started to wonder, like, so wait, is he actually British? And then he came, then he became like a famous actor in America. Because it happens, you know. Right. Yeah. Once in a while, it'll surprise you when you hear somebody talking. You're like, oh, you're not British. Or you are British. That's strange. I thought you were, you know, all that. But. Yeah. Unfortunately, the number one thing I associate George C. Scott with is Barney Gumble's football in the groin. <laughs> ah, my groin. <laughs> hey, it had a football to the groin. You can't yeah, argue yeah. with it. Mean, then I looked him up on IMDb. You would think I would have seen him in They Might Be Giants, but I have not. <laughs> I have that note. It's fine. Like there's a the, there's the yeah, only, better yep. than the movie. Yeah, there, here. Uh, I know one of Mike's favorite uh, soundtracks. He was in the film too, Angus. Yeah. Yup. 
Angus. But he's the but, he's Angus's grandpa. Yeah, he's Angus's grandpa. <laughs> There's exactly one thing on his IMDb I have seen before this, and he was the voice of the smoke in Cartoon All Stars. Cartoon All Stars to the rescue, and that's yeah. it. That, yep, yep. You never you never saw Doctor Strange Love, Joey? Oh, I saw Doctor Strange Love. He's in that. Okay. Yeah, he's one of the main guys. He's oh, like okay. the. Yeah. the I guess I didn't scroll all the way back, but it's yeah, it's more. I mean, what's more important to to cinematic and television history? Doctor Strangelove or Cartoon All Starts the Rescue? Well, <laughs> I mean, Ashman and Menken only wrote a song for one of those things. <laughs> That's right. Not the Rescuers Down Under. No, I never saw the Rescuers Down Under. Oh, it's, oh that's pretty it's good. Actually. The Rescuers, yeah. You should yeah. see the Hustler. You should see um, the Hospital. Do any of these have have Baby Kermit in them? And drugs. Uh, no, um, <laughs> gotta have both. You know what's interesting though is movie, movie from 1978. I would recommend mo- based on what I know of your interest thus far. I would recommend <laughs> movie, mo- movie, movie. St- Stanley Donnan directed this. It's a double feature, but each feature is only 45 minutes. One is uh like a Technicolor musical uh, from the 1930s style, and the <laughs> other one is a black and white boxing picture. Okay. And uh, George C. Scott is in it. And Art Carney. I don't know. It's weird. It's just a very strange movie. <laughs> Didn't think Art Carney would come up again, but here we are. <laughs> We're talking about Christmas, Mike. Art yeah, Carney it's always true. comes up. <laughs> <laughs> we got J.A.R. Got all, everything in this, in this <laughs> segment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but as Scrooge has no time for stoking fires, he points to his shirt and he goes, What is this? A shirt. And this, a waistcoat. And this, a coat. These are garments, Mr. Cratchit. Garments were invented by the human race's protection against the cold. Once purchased, they may be used indefinitely for the purpose for which they are intended. Cold burns. Could not be talking down Bob Cratchit more. (laughs) I love that exchange, though. I do. I, I really do. I, I mean, that's that's he's not wrong. <laughs> no, this is this is exclusive to this version of a Christmas Carol, but it's like it really sets the tone yes. of this particular Scrooge right out of the gate. I think it did a, a fabulous job cementing. Okay, this is the person that we're talking to. And yeah, he may, he might not be wrong, but he's also not very um, sympathetic. <laughs> no, he's like the power hungry thermostat dad. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to turn up the heat. The human body has its own natural heating mechanism. What's that? <laughs> Shivering. <laughs> and now Fred enters, has to say Merry Christmas, Uncle, twice to get Scrooge's attention. And when he does, he's met with quite a raucous, sarcastic laugh from the old man. I said Merry Christmas, Uncle. <laughs> Humbug. I kind of enjoyed that more than the usual quiet grumble of humbug. This Scrooge enjoys making people feel foolish. He does. That's that's what I was saying up front. Yeah, he's he's like the most gleeful version of Scrooge about being mean. <laughs> yeah, and like very proud of his own sense of humor too. Right. Like he's very amused at his own thought of boiling idiots in pudding. Right. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He's the kind of person that, you know, in total silence will laugh at his own jokes inside of his head. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, and he does. <laughs> uh, the rest of Fred's scene is pretty much by the book, but Scrooge has an additional comment about how he was told Fred's wife brought very little to their marriage. And Fred, of course, explains they love each other. And as usual, Scrooge has heard enough. Good afternoon. Mm-hmm. And more faithful to the book than I'm used to seeing, Fred is persistent. He even asks, why can't we be friends? Yeah, it's good. Gets his last word in, asks Bob about his family, wishes them both one last Merry Christmas, and he is out. And then we get something new. Scrooge's pocket watch chimes a very distinct chime. And he's made me late. That we're going to hear a few more times in different scenes, but this first time indicates to Scrooge that he's late for whatever business he has at the London Stock Exchange. He actually goes there, and that's where he runs into a pair of solicitors instead of having them knock on his door. Yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of like opening it up, you know, a little bit, like we're, we're we're out and about. Yeah. Scrooge is a man of business, so so why not be out and about doing business, you know? He's doing business. And here is where he asks Bob Cratchit, you want all day tomorrow, I suppose, and begrudgingly allows him to take the day off. And when we meet Scrooge outside, he meets Tiny Tim, who's here early. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. Don't beg on this corner, boy. I'm not begging, sir. I'm Tim, Tim Cratchit. I'm waiting for my father. (laughs) Tim Cratchit, huh? Well, then you'll have a long wait, won't you? I don't like when he meets Tiny Tim early. Hmm. I think it ruins the shock later when he finds out, oh, no, the guy who works for me has a sick son. Okay, sure. I understand that. And I I do agree with that because I thought that was a little odd. I thought it was strange that they would include this unless it's, you know, for the audience's benefit. If you didn't know, well, here's we're going to let you in on on Bob Cratchit's life before before we progress. But I agree with that sentiment. It it should have been more of a revelation later. Sure. Here's why I like it. Because Scrooge meets Tiny Tim, learns that Bob Cratchit has a son, and still doesn't care. (laughs) You know? Like, it's just, it's showing how little he cares, not only for, like, mankind in general, but his his only employee. (laughs) That it's like, he meets his son, and still, like, he has to see him in the context of his home. Mm Mm-hmm. To, to, like, develop any sympathy. That's fair. Well, and I think he has to, like, have seen himself as a boy and remember how lonely he was. Like, I think mm-hmm. I think this Scrooge, as he is today, he's... he's. Am I allowed to say bastard on this show, Mike? <laughs> you sure can. That's what People have said worse. That's how I would describe Ebenezer Scrooge. Hot take, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tiny Tim is played by Anthony Walters. Didn't do much acting after this. But it appears he grew up to work in the finance arm of Goldcrest Films in 2008 and 9, representing the company on a handful of films, including Tropic Thunder and the first Twilight movie. Okay, proud of him. If it's the same guy, IMDb uh, doesn't have a great track record of getting two people with the same name and thinking, oh, this is the same actor. (laughs) Right. I think that comes up later, but. Scrooge walks right through a group of kids singing, I saw three ships, just clear the road. (laughs) Heads inside the exchange and into what I called in my notes, the Great Hall of Top Hats. (laughs) (laughs) It it vaguely reminded me of, you know, in in Mary Poppins when you see Mr. Banks and all of his other Mr. Banks's. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yep. In his element. Sure, yeah, yeah. The fidelity fiduciary stock exchange. I feel I feel like here Scrooge is like he goes there not because he has to. He doesn't probably have to. He goes there because he likes to um fancy himself uh someone to be envied, someone to somewhere he can boast quietly, but also, you know, feel very smug about himself. Oh yeah. People need his help and he can say like, <laughs> no, I got my own money and this is what I'm going to do with it. And you're, you're in a tough spot because uh, take it or leave it. Yeah. Usually I think of Scrooge like all alone in his counting house and people come to him and he's, you know, a very, very solitary man. This he's out and about, you know, on not Wall Street. <laughs> oh, it's close to it. It's yeah. like they're going to have. Yeah. One group of businessmen has apparently been waiting for him. Scrooge apparently has a warehouse full of corn that he's looking to sell. My man. And these guys own a bakery or something. They sell bread. And they took longer than Scrooge would have liked. So he's hiking the price up by 5%. He doesn't care if it makes their bread more expensive. He doesn't even care if he sells the corn. You want my corn, gentlemen. You must meet my quote. Plus 5% for the delay. It's outrageous, Scrooge. You'll be left with a warehouse stuffed with corn. Well, that's my affair, isn't it? Tells him to go buy corn someplace else if you don't want to pay what I'm asking and threatens to raise it another 5% if they wait another day to decide. So they agree to his price and Scrooge warns them if he doesn't chip until he has the cash. I don't mind this addition. We very rarely see Scrooge do much in the way of actual business. So to see that he's just as shrewd here, like you were saying, Aaron, as everyone else says he is, is fine by me. Yeah, I agree. I like it. I enjoy it um, because it's some sort of a context. Otherwise, you know, we're like, well, he has money, but why does he have money? Yeah. I don't know. But how does he conduct business? I don't know. <laughs> right. He has a counting house. You just picture Scrooge McDuck, you know, with his pile of gold yeah. coins counting yeah. them. And that's what he does for a living. Yeah. <laughs> counts coins. Yeah. And sometimes swims in them. <laughs> And then he runs into our usual pair of solicitors, not incredibly portly gentlemen here, but they introduce themselves as Mr. Poole and Mr. Hacking. And great Gotham, Mr. Poole is played by Michael Goff. Yeah. At this festive season of the year, it seems desirable that those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this time. So we're we're excited because he's the celestial toy maker from Doctor Who, right? That's 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 what we're talking. Sure, I haven't seen that one. Uh, well, it's mostly missing. So, okay, um, three fourths of it are missing. But yeah, no, he's Alfred. He's Tim Burton's Alfred, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yep. I'm very new to Doctor Who, which will also come up later. But oh yeah, I suppose it will. But um, uh, that is a missing episode from the '60s, so I wouldn't recommend starting there if you're new. <laughs> okay, no, we we started we started in 2005. So yes, oh, okay. I, I haven't nine. really ventured back too much. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I started with nine, just about to start eleven. So we're trudging oh, our way through. Yeah, what a thrill! So so we're not going to talk about that one thing. Okay. Oh no, no, of, we're not. Um, I I think I know where you're talking about, but yeah, eleven 11's first Christmas special it would be very relevant here. That's not a spoiler. Yeah, no, I'm gonna try and go into that one blind, but I <sighs> I, I know enough about it. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear what you think. <laughs> okay, all right, but yeah, recognize Michael Goff immediately as Alfred. Sure. Yeah, he's Alfred, and he's in a ton of Hammer horror movies. Oh, nice. That's right. He was like one of the guys who always plays like some sort of slimy 
bar owner or you know like <laughs> i presume that's why tim burton cast him probably know from those probably Seems likely yeah mm-hmm. and his partner mr hacking is played by john quarmby a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and food and warmth oh, what can we put you down for sir? nothing you wish to be anonymous i wish to be left alone He's a character actor. I didn't really recognize him from anything else. He's got two photos up on IMDb, one from this and one from an episode of Faulty Towers where he played a health inspector. And that's all (laughs) I got. (laughs) Awesome. But aside from the setting, this scene is pretty by the book, though. Scrooge's delivery of... If they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so and uh, decrease the surplus population. Surely you don't mean that, sir. With all my heart is quieter than I'm used to. Very matter-of-fact and almost sweet, I thought. Yeah, yeah I huh. mean, if, if you soften your your words, almost, almost like, like I know, we're going to keep talking about Scrooge Duck, I'm sorry about it. But when he's like, but if we give them money, they won't be poor anymore. What's that? You know, like, like, well, well, oh, don't, don't make me, don't let me put you out of a job, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I like that a lot. Yeah, I don't prefer it, but I don't hate it. This Scrooge is very cordial, but very clearly hates the feeling of his time being wasted. And next we see Bob Cratchit leave at the end of his workday. Tiny Tim's still outside waiting to greet him, and Bob tells him he's got the day off tomorrow. And Tim cheers. Hurrah for Christmas, the best day of the year. <laughs> at Tim's request, they take a different way home by Cornhill, which is where Dickens tells us Cratchit takes a slide on the ice. We don't see him do that here because he's got Tim on his shoulders. Right. So instead they watch a bunch of other kids playing. I do wonder in the in the context of this movie, though, if Corn Hill is just Scrooge's pile of corn. That's where the corn is stored. That's where the corn where else are you gonna froze over? Yeah. They're all they're all having a snowball fight on on this frozen pile of corn. Bob tells his son, you'll be out there one day playing with the other children if the cord's still there. Uh, <laughs> Tim says he feels like he's getting stronger every day. I worry for his generation because there are no girls, apparently. No, where uh, are the girls? They're all in the choir. There are a few in the choir. We hear people singing. Uh, it's an original song that they're singing. It's an original carol. It was written for this movie. It's called God Bless Us, Everyone. Yeah. It's the same song we hear over the end credits. And I believe we heard an instrumental version of it at the top. But mm-hmm. it's it's like the movie's theme song. And if you listen to it, it's very well written. It might as well be from the Victorian era. But it mentions past, present, and future of mankind, and it hints at Scrooge's path of redemption. It's really neat. I'm going to put that in the show notes. I really enjoy the use of the carols yeah. throughout this, this introductory part. Not just, you know, when they're setting the tone, when you go over the, the first opening scenes, but... You know, when when Scrooge is walking, you know, outside, Mm -hmm. as we normally don't see him do. Um, And they're, you know, traditional. It's like you hear Holly and Ivy. How often do you hear the Holly and the Ivy? Like, I mean, I do every year, but it's Janice and Floyd. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Same. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's not it's not, you know, one of the ones that you actually normally hear caroled. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. I, I like, I like the older carols that, um, 
And I like the ones that people don't normally know the words to. (laughs) Awesome. Speaking of Scrooge, the mood quickly shifts as we cut to him taking a dark back alley home. The background music instantly changes to something super spooky. And I really like the cinematography here. I was taking my notes for this episode while watching it right before Halloween, and it was appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's during this walk home that we get a rare appearance by the phantom hearse passing by him. A little earlier than expected, even. Yeah, but it looks cool. It does look cool. Uh, Last year, I brought this up. I covered the animated version by Richard Williams, and that has this hearse fly up the stairs in Scrooge's house, which is where it's described in the original story. Uh, Dickens also used this hearse to kind of describe how wide Scrooge's staircase is. He says, Mm -hmm. you might have got a hearse up that staircase and taken it broadwise. Mm -hmm. And Scrooge might have seen this one go on before him in the gloom. But here it passes him on the walk home, and it as it does, we hear a voice moan, Scrooge. And I don't think I put together until then, watching it this time, that the hearse was probably supposed to be carrying Marley's ghost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the the little, the parallel, you know, that's the first thing you see, and here's here it is already. <laughs> Let's get started. <laughs> yeah, it took him to his resting place. Makes sense to take it back to the world of the living. I think it's a beautiful shot. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is gorgeous. We see the hearse vanish as it passes Scrooge down the dark alley. Scrooge looks puzzled for a second, but doesn't think much of it. Gets home and finds Marley's ghostly head superimposed on a lion door knocker as usual. It's an okay effect, but TV budget. (laughs) Goofy did it better. Statler did it better. I was just about to say. Statler did it way better. Yeah, I, it, that's that's not my favorite Scrooge apparition on the door <laughs> or, or Marley <laughs> apparition for Scrooge on the door. <laughs> I think my favorite is still from the stingiest man in town, the Rankin Bass one, because it's like creepy anime Marley head door knocker. Creepy anime Marley head door knocker is my band name, actually. There it is. <laughs> So Scrooge goes inside and it's kind of dark, but I think the spotlights from off screen are a little too bright here. Like he lights a candle, but the spotlights are brighter than the candle. (laughs) The Christmas toy had creepier hallways. (laughs) Uh, The creepy factor instead comes in the form of a vocal track that gets more and more intense as he checks each room in his house. But I think it gets too loud too early. Like he opens a door and there are trumpets like only to reveal nothing. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the score does get melodramatic at times. Very much so. It does. Like, I like what they're trying to do, but I think they go too loud too quickly. And Scrooge doesn't even look frightened yet. He's just a little cautious. Right. Huh. I almost expected to see, you know, the the shadow of Goofy follow him. (laughs) they, They linger on that on him climbing the stairs and and his yeah. shadow stark and i'm like wait they're not gonna even put a ghost shadow behind you okay <laughs> they don't do that as often as they should yeah they put it, it was just empty space on that wall and I'm like it was framed well for a, a yeah happen <laughs> eats in the dark because it's cheap and he likes it and finally we hear marley's ghost moaning again and his face appears wait 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 what's he eating what's he eating michael bread and cheese his customary gruel. Oh, his customary <laughs> gruel. But does it suffice, though? 
It seems like always it does in this situation. Oh, Mr. Scrooge, honey nut Cheerios, it's Christmas. My customer gruel will suffice. Thank you. What I like about the darkness is for a while we're like we were asking each other, so is it just really dark or all of his walls painted black or are they just sooty or are they just dirty? And you know, it kind of kind of seems like the latter. Probably all of the above. Yeah. Like and and this is a very weird thing that I think of, but I was thinking of <laughs> the 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 Christmas that almost wasn't. Um, which is um if you if you watch Mr. Science Theater, it's one of the one of the later episodes that they did um with with Jonah. And Okay. It's um the the antagonist in that one is someone who wants to evict Santa Claus on Christmas. Yeah, and, prune. Um, Yes, prune. Phineas prune. Uh, prune, so that he's PP. Yeah, I don't know this one. Oh man! Oh, you got to check it out. It's about okay. Go on, go on. It's you hilarious. It yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, but his house is so dusty and so full of cobwebs. And I really think I think that the job of his butler is to make the house more dirty. <laughs> and that's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah, Scrooge isn't paying someone to clean. That's yeah. what I said. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I just want to add one thing about Christmas that almost wasn't great episode of mystery science theater 3000. Also very fun, like on its own as just yes. like a good, bad movie. Like you can mm-hmm. watch it without the riffs and it's still entertaining. Nice. Cause sometimes they aren't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Mexican Santa Claus is pretty entertaining without it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Uh. But okay, finally we hear Marley's ghost moaning again. His face appears over a tiled backsplash in the fireplace of the Last Supper, which interesting choice. That's at the wrong yeah. end of Jesus's life. Yeah, that's true. Very odd. That's at the other end. But then the bells start ringing, and which makes Scrooge get up. And the sound of chains coming up the stairs are what really start to make him look a little concerned. But then he turns around and he sees the doors unlock by themselves. And there's the horrified look I was waiting for. Up until this point, he he had he had been opening doors, but his his main his main door. Right. Yeah. It's just got a normal like whatever, the kind of lock that we have on like a bathroom door when you don't want to be disturbed. Right. Right. But his dressing chamber is like bolted like a vault. Why? I don't know. Doesn't want to be killed in his sleep. Yeah, but no, it's got like at least two locks on this thing. And they all like they focus on each one as they slide open very quickly. And then the door swings open and Marley's ghost enters to sad violin music. His eyes look glazed over. I like the look of this, Marley. I do. I do. Because like, you know, in the book, how like his jaw drops open and we we see that here. Yeah. He unwraps it. He like, yeah, and he, he, un- he totally does it. And they linger. They they show him unwrapping the whole thing. Right. And I love that. But I also love the whole makeup uh, adds to that. Because mm-hmm. like even before he does that, he looks like he's falling apart. Mm-hmm. He does. Yeah. And I, I love it. I liked it, but I, I was I was a little irritated because I'm like, but but then it's normal. You're not like. Like with your mouth, you don't keep it up. TV budget. Yeah, right, right. We see for a second his mouth falls open and then he's cool. Yeah, that's. It's just like a party trick he can do. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah. 
just want to spook you by doing this and taking my good old time. <laughs> I know. Who are you? Ask me who I was. <laughs> You're particular for a ghost. Who are you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Marley's ghost is played by Frank Finley, probably best known as Porthos in the Three Musketeers movies. Yeah, the the Richard Lester ones from the 70s. Yep. Uh, Also was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 1965's Othello. He played Iago in that. Oh, wow. Huh. Interesting. I'm sure I have seen him in other things. I don't know him from too much else. No, like like Three Musketeers, I've seen at least one of those. So that's where my brain goes. He's good in this, though. I really like him. He's creepy. Love him in this. Yeah. Yeah. Scrooge impatiently asks him, can you sit down? I can. (laughs) Well, do it then. (laughs) I'm thinking of Pee Wee. I don't know. Can you? (laughs) And he slowly walks over to a chair, dragging his change. Scrooge still isn't convinced he's seeing what he's seeing. And he is extremely Pleased with his own joke about more of gravy more than of gravy, gravy about than you. Grave. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I do love that line. We do. We do it's like great, saying great that. line. Yeah, it's a great line, and and when done well, and when inserted in the right place, it's just here. He's just I'm a clever boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so do you think you'd prefer Statler and Waldorf to roast him about it? I do. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Leave the comedy to the bears. <laughs> Here's when Marley stands up and screams at him, and I left. <laughs> <laughs> that part wasn't scary. It's that weird. Me laugh. It's very it strange. Is weird. It's weird. Yeah, unsettling. Yeah. It is unsettling. It is yeah, very, I agree. Yeah, I find yeah. it unsettling. <laughs> There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. <laughs> yeah, and, and Scrooge cowers, rightly so, as Marley shows some genuine anger with himself about his own fate. Tell Scrooge he's got his own chain that's even longer than his, but that is part of his penance. He's come to give Scrooge hope of escaping his fate. And here is where we, again, we stray from the original story for some reason. A lot of adaptations do this. Marley tells Scrooge to expect the first of three spirits when the bell tolls one, fine, but the second on the stroke of two, and the third, more mercurial, Marley says, shall appear in his own time. Why? What? Well, I think in the book, it's weird. Like, I I truly don't understand why Dickens says it's going to be three consecutive nights in the first place. And then has Scrooge be like, but it was all in one. The spirits did it all in one night. I don't understand why. So I think changing it is fine. I feel like, you know, because the future is unknown and because it's more ominous and vague. I think for me, it makes more sense to Scrooge in the moment that Christmas present, they're spending the entire day together and it feels like an entire day. So he doesn't have that thought in the back of his mind. Oh, this is only an hour or whatever. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Huh? Yeah. That's where my head is. And again, it makes that comment at the end. The Spears did it all in one night. Make more sense here. If it's just, oh, Christmas past only lasted an hour. Then right. it's just, eh. But George C. Scott doesn't say they did it all in one night, does he? I don't think he does now that you mention it. I don't think he does. Michael Caine says it, even though. He sure does. Even though they still set it up as one night. There, yeah. yeah. Mr. Magoo says it. He does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Marley's ghost wraps his jaw up again. 
and the window opens by itself and we see him flow down into the dark of night. You got to wrap your jaw before you go outside. <laughs> Absolutely. You'll catch a death. Well, it's cold. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> You'll catch death. Second time. We we hear the wailing of other souls, but Scrooge looks out and sees nothing. And I was a little disappointed. Yeah. That's that budget you're talking about. Yeah. Gives a humbug and then looks back at the door, which is locked again. And he shakes his head and says, ah, something I ate. I was wondering if, if we were to infer that then there are other ghosts being visited or people were being visited by other ghosts all, you know, this is a thing that happens on Christmas. Like, oh, there's a lot of murmuring outside. I guess everyone's getting a ghost right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is yours. It's a mass haunting. You can't return it. <laughs> no. So we get to one o'clock and Scrooge's pocket watch chimes again. He slowly sits up, pauses, waits, nothing at first, which is by the book. Grumbles just a dream, and then a strong wind blows through, followed by a growing light, and into the window enters our ghost of Christmas past with some fantastic 80s hair. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What business brings you here? It is for your welfare that I appear. I can think of no greater welfare than a night of uninterrupted sleep. Be careful, Ebenezer Scrooge. I speak of your reclamation. The Ghost of Christmas Past is played by Angela Pleasance, daughter of Donald Pleasance from the Halloween movies. Her dad is Michael Myers' psychologist. Sure is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. No, she she reminded me, it's like, I don't know, like like Glenn Close dressing up like David Bowie with yeah, like kind glitter. Of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's where else I mentioned Doctor Who in my notes because uh, she yeah. she played Queen Elizabeth the first in uh, in the episode where the tenth Doctor and Martha go back and meet Shakespeare. Right for approximately thirty seconds at the end. Yep, she shows up to yell at the Doctor as he runs back into the TARDIS. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And when they pay it off, the queen's much younger, so it's not her anymore. It's Joanna Payton. Right. <laughs> uh, but in 1978, she was in a TV movie adaptation of Les Miserables as Fantine. But Christmas passed. She's carrying a large candle cap. I'm glad they kept the candle cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Because it's such a weird image in the book, and you don't see it all that often. It is. Yeah. It's in It's in Magoo's. It's in Richard it Williams. Is, yep. it's in, like, mm-hmm. You see it in animation more than anywhere else. You do. Right. Just because that's a big prop. <laughs> right. But it looks it looks genuine. It looks great. Scrooge asks if she can put it over her glowing head and she's offended. Mm. Says, I carry the light of truth. Would you put it out? Yes, Scrooge. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't sell his corn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He wants to get this over with quickly. So he matter of factly tells this goes, well, let's get on with it. And fog starts to build around them. And we see the past in the reflection of the candle cap before we fade into it. No flying out the window. Sorry, y'all. I, th- I think it's a nice effect. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you know, always visually transport somebody phys- or physically or through the air or whatever. Right. It's a nice segue. And I'm glad that each spirit has their own method. Yeah, they do. Like everyone has their own way of transitioning from one scene to the other. And and this one does it very well. But 
We arrive at Scrooge's childhood, and his first remark is, the air is so clean. Pre-industrial revolution is what I said. That's right. Realizes where and when he is and sees his childhood friends and calls out to them. He remarks how happy they all seem, and this ghost says, That's right, they do. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. This ghost talks a lot, and it made me laugh. Well, I think she and Christmas Present, as we'll see, both are like very short-tempered compared to a lot of adaptations. Like, I don't know about that, but they're just very blunt. They're very blunt with Scrooge in a way that some aren't. Yeah, uh, sassy is what I, uh, (laughs) blunt. Yep. And I, I, but I think that's kind of what he needs. I I think they're like speaking his own language to him. Yeah. Yeah. I think if it were more flowery, I think if it were more subtle, he wouldn't respond. Yeah. This particular portrayal of Scrooge and these particular portrayals of the ghosts bounce off of each other well with their tones to each other. So we head into school and Scrooge doesn't seem shocked at all to see himself as a boy. Well, he already saw his friends. He knew knew they were there. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost points out he's all alone and Scrooge says fondly, he has his friends. He has Alibaba. Referring to his books. Yes, which is in the book and like never comes up. No, never. I've only seen it once. Like Richard Williams has like a scene of like pictures in his head. Yeah. Of like you can see an animated Alibaba there. I like that. He's a guy of friends. I have these these famous literary characters. Sure. Yeah. You're, you're telling me that. Yeah. Ghost is like, you don't have real friends. And he shoots back Robinson Crusoe. Not real. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Which is well, it's just straight out of the book again. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. It's such yeah. a thrill to hear. Yeah. But uh, but the way that they deliver it is we're venturing into Velveteen Rabbit territory <laughs> in A Christmas Carol. <laughs> I enjoy it. I, I like that. Um because it paints a sad picture and, and one that he's really indignant about. Just and I believe that the ghosts are as well. Like, like, see, and they're like, yeah, see. <laughs> right. <Sad. Yeah. laughs> yeah. But we fast forward to another Christmas, and the young Scrooge is a bit older now. This younger Scrooge is played by Mark Strickson. Yeah. Oh, I think I should warn you, Miss Bell. I am of a serious bent of mind. I just told you I'm a Doctor Who newbie, but Mark Strickson played a longtime companion of the fifth Doctor. He sure did. Turlow. Now, who is Turlow? That's right. He's an alien in disguise as a schoolboy who has been tasked (laughs) with murdering the Doctor, but becomes his companion instead. Well, spoilers. (laughs) No, no, no. That's his his first story. That's how he's introduced. Oh, perfect. All right. Spoilers from like 60 years ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like... 1982 but right right i'll be fine (laughs) but no i mean that's that's his first story and it's one of the all-time great setups for a doctor who companion i think you know and i think he's real good in this too yeah no he's he's very good as young scrooge and he's nothing like turlow who's like a a sniveling little like petulant child (laughs) okay yeah and he doesn't play that here at all no no uh, but Mark Strickson is a producer and director now. Looks like he directs a lot of science documentaries. There's one called Modern Dinosaurs. There's several about volcanoes. And he is still playing Turlo in audio dramas made by Big Finish Productions. Oh, is he? Well, all right. Wow. That's like most most living Doctor Who companions from the original series. That makes sense. Are, are, are on there, yeah. And, and nice. Are, yeah. Uh, but right now... In runs Scrooge's sister, Fan, to bring him home. Father's much kinder than he used to be. 
He spoke to me so gently one day and night that I was not afraid to ask once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should. Fan is played by Joanne Wally, whom I know best as Sorsha from Willow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Willow. And the the other big one for me is uh, The Man Who Knew Too Little with Bill Murray. Oh, and wow. Where, she, where she's like the femme fatale. Yeah. I mean, not really, but like, that's the but role. No, she's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I must have missed that. And she's great in that. She's delightful oh, yeah. in that. Yeah. I looked her up. She was a, uh, this jumped out of me. She was Sister Maggie in the Netflix Daredevil series. Yep. All right. Is is she his mom in that? It's been so long. I mean, yes. she's his mom yep. in the comics, but yeah, they, yes. I, I thought they put that in the show. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And she's in uh, the Disney Plus Willow series that no longer exists. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she was good in it. Like she actually got things to do in the episodes she was in and it was great to see it. I unfortunately missed it. I wanted to watch Willow again with the kids. And then like by the time we got around to it, it was gone. I liked the show. I know I got a mixed reaction, but I really enjoyed it for whatever that's worth. Yeah. I've other friends who like watched it and were looking forward to it. Like they all had great things to say about it and it's gone. Yeah. I, that's one that I expect to turn up on Tubi or Roku channel or something. I you hope know? so. Like, like so much of this stuff that disappeared from Max is yeah. on like is on like Tubi now. Okay. You know? Weirdly. You pay for the space. Solid media is forever. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Give me that. Give me that Blu-ray of Willow the series. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But here's where we have another added scene where we are introduced to Scrooge's father. Yeah. A stern old man in a very tall pilgrim hat. (laughs) Who's not looking forward to being in his son's company for three days before sending him off to Fezziwigs, where he has arranged an apprenticeship for him. You'll move into Mr. Fezziwigs establishment in three days time. Three days, Father. I'd hoped we'd have my brother home for longer. Longer? Three days is quite long enough for both of us. Don't you think, Ebenezer? Yes, sir. Nice bit of backstory we did not need. I'm not sure why this is here. To make him feel bad, to be like, you were unwanted. And we, we, you know, no one cared for you. Like, some people would, would reply like, yeah, well, I worked my way up, suck it up. And some of them would be like, well, I wouldn't want anyone else to go through what I went through. Okay. But I, <laughs> I was watching them like, why would this horrible, hateful man set him up with like the nicest employer in the world? Hey, yeah. Like, how are you friends? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Scrooge's father is played by Nigel Davenport, best known from A Man for All Seasons as the Duke of Norfolk and Chariots of Fire as Lord Birkenhead. And that's the most British sentence I have ever spoken. <laughs> it is. Well, but he's in, he's in, like, those are both Best Picture winners at the Oscars. Like, he's in yeah. two of them. That's, yep. that's interesting. Yeah. Some people may or may not be more familiar with his son, Jack Davenport, who's Commodore Norrington in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, We get a little more extra dialogue here between Scrooge and the ghost about Fan. Usually the ghost reminds him and us that she died a young woman and was Fred's mother. And here she points out how much Fred bears a strong resemblance to his mother. Is that from the book? Because that's something I felt that really. It it is. okay. it really jumped out at me. I feel like it's something they don't ever emphasize in the in the other adaptations, but they really go into it like like that's more. There's a lot more depth. Like we were talking about Scrooge's father, about his family that like. 
why did he end up like this? That's part of it. And and when we get to stuff with Fred and that they pretty much emphasize like, oh, one of the reasons Scrooge pushes away Fred and his family all the time is because he reminds him of his late sister and the only person who loved him and, you know, the only family member who loved him and, and all of that is in there too, which is more depth. Which I think is so important to understanding Scrooge. Yeah. Like, and I don't know why so many adaptations cut fan out entirely. Because I, yeah. I think she she truly is kind of the key to mm-hmm. like showing us how this like, you know, reasonably happy young man became this this bitter old man, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do include that like she she died a young woman and was Fred's mother. I don't believe they include the line where the ghost tells him, I'm beginning to think you've gone through life with your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. This part does get referenced later, so I'm fine with that. I still don't think we needed to meet his dad besides to laugh at his hat. But. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, he, he was the comedic relief, obviously. There it <laughs> like, is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we zoom back out onto the candle cap for a bit and back in on the reflection of Fezziwigs. Yeah. <laughs> You'll enjoy yourself tonight, Master Ebenezer. That is an order. Yes, sir. I'll try. You won't put your heart in it. You put enough of yourself into your work, and I have nothing but praise for the way you've discharged your duties. But you're young, eh? There's more to life than uh, bolts of cloth and musty old ledgers, eh? <laughs> You call them an elfin? Yes, he's elf. He's a right jolly old elf. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's... <laughs> this Fezziwig is played by Timothy Bateson, who voiced several characters in Labyrinth, including one of the four guards in the scene with the riddle and the little worm who says, hello. Yeah, he's great in that. Um, so this will come as no shock to you by now, but in my heart, he's always been Ro the heretic from the Rebos operation on Doctor Who. Okay. Oh, and he was the voice of Creature in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. That, that was his last role before his death. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, in that Doctor Who episode, he's a heretic because... He thinks that the uh, lights in the sky are stars, not like ice crystals. And everyone's like, no, no, you're a crazy man. Okay. You're, you're an outcast from society for thinking about science. <laughs> um, he's great. He's truly great. It's one, of, it's one of the all-time greats. Tom Baker. I mean, it's like one of the classic Doctor Who stories. Okay. But I am looking forward to all of these Doctor Who episodes I've never seen. <laughs> Didn't think they were going to be this much coming up. So this is exciting. Uh, this is, you know, this is a British, British television people. production. I guess yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. yeah. So like, so, yeah. It's, it's all Doctor Who and Harry Potter people. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. So we're at Wigs, And first we see actual work happening. I don't think Wigs' actual business is usually shown in these. They just go right to the party, right? It's just at the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here it looks like he deals in fabrics of some sort. There's a bunch of different styles of fabric folded on shelves behind him. Some women are folding them on tables. Yeah. Scrooge is his clerk at a desk until Fessywick cheerfully tells him, pens down, Ebenezer, it's Christmas Eve. I order you to have fun tonight. Yeah, that's great. I have no notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Did you cover an American Christmas Carol yet? On the show, yes, you have you did. just okay. this season. So just this did, just did. Okay, that goes really into the Fezziwigs character's work. Like, he yes, it does. Teaches young Scrooge how to be like a woodworker and make chairs mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And really, yeah, which I really like. Actually, I actually really like that movie a lot. I, I don't know how you found it, but oh, I loved it. Yeah, I think it's great, and that's one of the things I like about it is that it like 
we see Scrooge being an apprentice, not Scrooge, we see Slade, Slade being yeah. an apprentice, you know. Yeah. Deathstroke? <laughs> yeah, yes. Henry Winkler as Deathstroke. Henry Winkler. It's, a, it's, a, it's really, uh, you wouldn't think so in A Christmas Carol, but it works. With a sexy mustache. <laughs> Uh, but Fezziwig's other young apprentice, Dick Wilkins, is here as well. Are you in love, Ebenezer? Mm. The thought had occurred to me. She's too good for you. He's played by Spencer Banks. IMDb tells me he starred in a children's science fiction series called Time Slip, about a pair of kids traveling through time. That was great. Sounds like Loki would watch it. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> Sounds up my alley. But, uh... Here is Dick Wilkins. We see he and Scrooge are roommates. Fessywig is lodging both of them. Also at this Christmas party, we briefly meet Mrs. Fezziwig. She is played by Pat Rose, and this is her only acting credit. Interesting. We also very briefly meet Fezziwig's daughters. Dickens does mention the three Miss Fezziwigs, but they're usually not included. Yeah, they all dance in the at the big the big dance sequence. Mm-hmm. In the book, yeah. Scrooge recognizes Fezziwig's three daughters and their suitors. Thankfully, only the two older daughters have suitors because the third looks like she's nine. (laughs) But more importantly, here is where we meet Belle. They're bringing her in now instead of later when they break up. Which almost every adaptation does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I get it because it it feels natural. Mm -hmm. It does. To see their introduction and their parting. Right. Or whatever. I was much more surprised to read it later when I when I read the book. I'm just like, oh, they don't show Belle here. She only shows up at the breakup. But yeah, kids. Right. Although in this one, it's interesting because they they know each other already. Yeah. Like this. This is not their first meeting, which it usually is in adaptations. No, it feels like they've known each other for a while. Yeah. And interestingly, young Scrooge is the first to approach Belle in this version, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. But. Shyly asks her to dance and even sneaks her a kiss during the scene before they run off together. I consider seriousness to be an admirable trait of character, but it can be overdone. I should take heed of your advice, ma'am, and go through life with a grin on my face. Belle is played by Lucy Gutteridge, who earlier in 1984 was in Top Secret alongside Val (laughs) Kilmer in his first movie. Yeah. Uh, Joanne Wally's future husband, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, you're they right. Met, they met on Willow and and got married. Yeah. They have a oh. child together. Yeah. Huh. But here the ghost asks old Scrooge, how long since you've danced, Ebenezer? Great question. Ask that one and more. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. One. Can I do another useless piece of trivia? Sure can. <laughs> I don't know. Can you? I mean, I can, may I? <laughs> Please. Um, do you remember who plays her dad in Top Secret? Ah. Uh. No, I don't. I've never seen Top Secret. Oh, it's Michael Goff, who's in this movie. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Yeah, that's all. (laughs) It all goes back to Top Secret. Yep. But Scrooge replies, it's a waste of time dancing. And the ghost said, you didn't think so then. And he admits there was a reason then. Mm -hmm. And he smiles as he watches his younger self and Belle talk. It's a genuine sad smile before he hangs his head because he knows how this ends. Yeah. And there's a really nice camera effect here where they change the scene. The fiddler dances across the floor and toward the camera until the tails of his waistcoat make the whole screen black. 
Then we pan in on the now empty Fezziwig's office as the ghost calls old Fezziwig a silly man. Scrooge questions this. This is all from the book. There is one line edited for this version. The ghost questions. What did he do after all to deserve the praises of those apprentices? Spent a few pounds? Dance like a monkey? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that a lot. They it's just, good. Just like just a small showing of kindness meant so much to so many people. Like, yeah, it was it really that bad. <laughs> like, right. Even Scrooge defends Fezziwig's generosity mm-hmm. here. He says the happiness he gave was great. This is like the very start of his his face turn. <laughs> and now we see another added scene. Here is young Scrooge talking to Dick Wilkins in their bunk beds. Dick asks Ebenezer if he's in love, and he answers, the thought had occurred to me, and Dick tells him, she's too good for you. And the young Scrooge vows, one day, when I've made my fortune, then I'll deserve her. And then we watch the scene change on the cap again to another Christmas Eve with some eerie music again, as we now follow a slightly older Scrooge walking swiftly through the park to meet Belle, The older Scrooge says he doesn't remember this Christmas. Whether he's lying or not isn't clear to me, but it's our usual breakup scene. I just think he is. I think he's lying. Like, like, oh, should I remember this? It meant nothing to me. Like, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm not crying. You're crying. This set, like, I mean, I know that's where, you know, this is always set, like, in this place where it's snowing off, but there's another adaptation where it looked like exactly like it is it the muppet one that i'm picturing real close yeah it's real close yeah. with, with the river and the bridge behind them yep. it looks like almost yep. the same set some others it's a lot greener it, mm-hmm. they don't make it clear that it's supposed to be another christmas i do like that that you know there's tracks in the snow you could see like where people had gone before and she had been there's there's you know her footprints leading up to this bench and she's just waiting 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 yeah Asks the younger Scrooge, if there had been no understanding between us, would you seek me out and try to win me now, a dourless girl with nothing but myself to bring to a marriage? And he hesitates. You have no answer. You think I would not then? Oh, Ebenezer, what a safe and terrible answer. Yeah, get him. And the dramatic music is back as she dumps him, and it's hilarious. I let you go with a full heart. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. I love it. I love that. <laughs> like, there are cymbals crashing. Reminded me of Fantasia when the sorcerer comes back and undoes Mickey Mouse's flood. <laughs> and this soundtrack isn't bad. It's very good musically, but it just seems so out of place at times like this. I feel like because it's it was maybe maybe I'm interpreting this knowing that it was TV in America. Maybe they're compensating like that, like like okay, we gotta. This is your cue to feel something, you know. So that it's like also it's like a British stagey vibe. Maybe like there are times when I feel like they're really trying to gone with the wind. Some of these moments (laughs) with the soundtrack. But then, but then the rest of the soundtrack is subtle and and appropriate and and really, you know, uh, I don't know. I I feel that it works in some places, and then some places you're like, what was that? <laughs> but the older Scrooge mundanely says, "I almost went after her," and the ghost asks why he didn't. I think this is new information. He explains, "Upon his death, my father left me a small inheritance, but I wanted something more for Bill and me." So I lent out that money, laying the foundations for financial success, which I have achieved, I may add. Yeah. 
<laughs> Again, just slightly boasting to no one who's impressed. Yeah, yeah. Right. Ghost says, well, you've explained what you gained. Now I'll show you what you've lost. And we get the rarely seen final scene from Christmas past of Belle's happy life as a mother with a family. With yeah. a million children. She's like, got a whole gaggle yeah. of children playing in the show, which is book accurate. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. Some are building a snowman, and it's that long-legged kind, like the Raymond Briggs snowman, so I was very happy to see that. <laughs> we also see Belle's husband, played by Peter Setlin. I saw an old friend of yours in the city this afternoon. Who was it? Guess. I can't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was. Wikipedia tells me he was a voice coach for Princess Diana. Oh, wow. Like helped her develop her public speaking skills. Okay. Here he tells his wife, Belle, he saw an old friend of hers that afternoon. This is the Christmas Eve when Jacob Marley was on his deathbed. Mm. But Belle's husband saw Scrooge at work, alone, like nothing was happening. Quite alone in the world, he says. That part's straight from Dickens. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It's This is one of those things I mentioned at the start, like how much it feels like reading the book. That's one of those things. Like so yeah. many of the details are here that they leave out in other versions. Uh, right. Yep. And old Scrooge now angrily shouts at Belle, spare me your pity when uh, she says, poor Ebenezer, poor wretched man. Says, I have no need of it. Then he growls at the ghost. And as for you, I've had enough of your pictures from the past. Believe me, haunt me no longer. And the ghost just smiles spryly before we get a really awkward scene transition of Scrooge lowering the candle cap very slowly onto the ghost's head as she echoes, truth lives. <laughs> you cannot snuff it out. <laughs> I do like that we eventually see him struggling, not with a giant candle cap, but with his own rug on his otherwise <laughs> bare hardwood floor. <laughs> yeah. And he realizes this and thinks, oh, must have had a nightmare. Like he's still not convinced any of this is actually happening. A Christmas Carol brought to you by IBM will continue. Making a business run the way it ought to means giving the right people the right tools. From typewriters and copiers to computers and software, IBM can help. Dear Santa, how are you? Oops. Oh. My little brother Joey asked me to write you. He's only five. Here are a few things he hopes he'll bring the family this Christmas. Grandma helped with everybody's sizes. We've grown a lot since last year. Oh yeah, favorite colors. Um, Grandma, yellow. Joey kind of likes green. And me. Santa, you're not going to believe what Joey wants. Baseball cap, sleeping bag, a sled, a bike, make it red, and a drum. Mom says you can leave out the drum. Santa, Joey knows that Christmas is more than gifts and stuff, and that giving is more important than getting. I guess little kids forget that sometimes. Well, Merry Christmas, Santa. Your friends, Joey and Ted. To learn more about Charles Dickens and Christmas, the Library of Congress suggests these books. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, Charles Dickens, His Tragedy and Triumph by Edgar Johnson, 
Christmas Customs Around the World by Herbert H. Wernicke. These and many other interesting books are waiting for you in your local library and bookstore. Visit them. They'll be happy to help you read more about it. This December, the Christmas Podcast Network is bringing you the ultimate dose of holiday hilarity. It's the Christmas Podcast Network All-Star Comedy Christmas Show. We've gathered your favorite podcast hosts from the Christmas Podcast Network for a night of nonstop laughter, festive fun, and more Christmas cheer than you can shake a candy cane at. All your favorites are here, ready to light up the stage with comedy that's hotter than chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I've got a joke for you. Why did the Christmas tree go to the barber? I don't know, Mike. Why did the Christmas tree go to the barber? It wanted a trim. (laughs) That's a tremendous joke, Mike. We prepared a holiday medley featuring all of the classics with a comedic twist. Rudolph Rudolph the the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny rubber rubber chicken. chicken. Speaking of rubber chickens, did you hear about the one that auditioned for a Christmas play? Oh no, not more chicken jokes. (laughs) Ouch, (laughs) that was dumb. I mean, we couldn't get any of the writers from Breaking Bad or The Sopranos in here to punch this up just a bit. No? No? Anybody? No? Do you think they'll deliver a punchline tonight? If they do, it'll be a Christmas miracle. Expect holiday sketches, hilarious improv, and some surprise festive twists that'll leave you rolling on the floor like a snowball down a hill. Should I do a dramatic reading of Dickens? How about a Frosty the Snowman-inspired rap that will slay the crowd? That's no good. I've been working on my George Bailey impression. What do you think? Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan! You've nailed it, Scott. Now who's up for a game of Christmas charades? This is Mary Manis, and I love it. Tonight's special is a gingerbread stew. It's a stew I threw a gingerbread house into. Just don't eat the gingerbread house. It's more for decoration. Yes, it's holiday gold. This is like a comedy snowstorm. Non-stop laughs. I've got my ugly Christmas sweater on. It's so ugly. It's almost cute the spirit, Chris. I've been perfecting my Santa laugh. Listen to this. Ho, ho, ho! You know, I've been practicing my own Santa impression. Ho, ho, ho! This Santa sounds a bit like a pirate, no? (laughs) Let's make sure we're all on the nice list tonight, okay, folks? I've got presents for everyone. (laughs) But beware, some might just be empty boxes filled with holiday puns. Now, who's up for some festive improv? So mark your calendars for December 32nd, set those reminders, and get ready for a Yuletide laugh riot. I've got a list of dad jokes longer than Santa's naughty list. Speaking of lists, did you hear about the snowman who wanted to be on the nice list? Yeah, he was aiming for a flurry of good deeds. How about a little holiday magic? Watch me turn a candy cane into a string of twinkling lights. Lights. Watch me turn this candy cane into a spaghetti noodle. That is possibly the most creative trick I've seen. (laughs) I've got a joke for you all. Why did the Christmas cookie go to therapy? I don't know, Charlie. Why did the Christmas cookie go to therapy? It was feeling a little crummy inside. That's enchanting, Charlie. Maybe we should tell ghost stories. Nothing like a good Christmas scare. This is shaping up to be the jolliest night ever. 
Hey, I've got a Christmas confession. I still watch animated holiday specials. <gasps> no shame in that, Ashley. I do too. In fact, I rate them on a scale of one to tinsel. <laughs> Don't miss it, folks. The Christmas Podcast Network All-Star Comedy Christmas Show. Because the best way to spread Christmas cheer is sing... Uh, nope, nope, don't want any copyright strikes. I'm, I'm not going to say that. From all of us at the Christmas Podcast Network to all of you. Merry Christmas! It's the Christmas Podcast Network All-Star Comedy Christmas Show, only on CPN. You'll love it. Oh, oh no, copyright! And now, A Christmas Carol, starring George C. Scott and Frank Finley, continues. Slowly gets up and crawls back to bed, begging, let me sleep in peace. But there will be no peace. The clock strikes two. And he sits up again, asking aloud, well, Jacob Marley, where's this spirit? Yeah. Chuckles to himself, lies back down for a beat before a voice calls him out. Ebenezer Scrooge! And he just opens his eyes like, oh, heard a noise. I would have jumped out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> would have been terrified. Like, oh, is this still happening? (laughs) But we see a very bright light under the crack of his door. The music swells as he gets up to open it. And now he walks into an absurdly bright room. We meet the ghost of Christmas present, and he is as spot on as I think I've ever seen this character. He is glorious. (laughs) Yeah. I love his laugh. You've never seen the likes of me before. The Ghost of Christmas Present is played by Edward Woodward. Yes. (laughs) Probably best known from 1973's The Wicker Man or the 80s TV series The Equalizer. You know the Denzel Washington movies? It started as a TV show starring Edward Woodward. Yeah, you know the Queen Latifah TV show? It started as a different TV show starring Edward Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has a very long IMDb. He was in one episode of The Lone Gunman. He was in Hot Fuzz. The Lone Gunman? Yes. <laughs> wow. But yeah, he's he's magnificent. Yeah, he's in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the village businessmen. Right, yep. He's great in this. And what I love about him here is that, like, I'm I the the two main Ghost of Christmas Present that I think of are Jerry Nelson in Muppet Christmas Carol. Yep. Who plays it very jovial. You know, he mm-hmm. plays it like he's your your favorite uncle. Yeah. And Edward Woodward plays it like he's your annoyed college professor. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. Who knows knows your potential and like just wants you to cut the crap and <laughs> do what he knows you can do. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a perfect description. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I love this visual of the spread of food surrounding him. Mentioned something about his brothers and Scrooge asks, do you have many brothers spirit over 1800? And then he cackles like, yeah, like, oh, almost like Scrooge does. Like your joke wasn't that funny, but I guess you liked it. <laughs> well, and Scrooge tries to make a joke here. Tremendous family to provide for, but it doesn't quite it land as well as Michael Caine with imagine the grocery bills. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the ghost moves on quickly. He has to reach over the table with a turkey to uh, get Scrooge to touch his robe. But this scene change, instead of a candle cap, is a slow pan up on the ghost's torch as we present Christmas morning. 
We walk with Scrooge and the ghost through the outdoor market where we are treated to a lovely close up on some open mouth fish heads. <laughs> Eat them up. <laughs> this whole marketplace is just like animal carcasses and people like yelling at each other. And I'm just like, this is this would be a great campaign for vegans. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of geese squawking. Yeah, yeah they, they kind of like, remind me of, he's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge comments, there's a lot of buying on Christmas, isn't there? And the ghost asks, is that all you can see? Follow me and I'll show you what good use these wares can be put. I will tell you, I saw no corn. <laughs> No, it's all in his where it's all in his hill. On <laughs> his hill. He's got a corn monopoly. Scrooge does ask if there's some peculiar power that emanates from the spirit's torch, but we haven't seen him use it yet. I had to rewind to check. Did he sprinkle the torch on anyone? No, he's just holding it the whole time. Then he holds the torch up to the camera as we fade into the street. Bob Cratchit lives on. But I thought, like, what a dumb place to put that line and not do anything with it. But Scrooge is actually impressed that Bob Cratchit is doing as well as he is at what he pays him. That's a weird backhanded compliment to yourself. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it is. (laughs) He also doesn't want to disturb the Cratchits, but the ghost reminds him they'll be unseen and unheard. So in we go, we meet Mrs. Cratchit. You're late, Bob Cratchit. Oh, and you're quite like an icicle tin. You've been dawdling. Played by Susanna York, whom I know best from the Superman movies as Superman's biological mother, Lara. Superman's mom. Yep. Also nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And in 1970, she starred as Jane Eyre in the TV movie alongside George C. Scott. (laughs) Yeah. And she's 100% adorable in... Tom Jones, the Albert Finney movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where she plays the mostly unrequited object of his affections. Mm-hmm. I don't love that movie, but like she and Albert Finney are delightful together in it. I haven't seen that in a long time. And I think she and David Warner are delightful together here. They are. Like, I think they have the most, the most warm and natural chemistry. Yeah. That just shows how well she can work with with all of these different actors. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and two of her actual children play two of the Cratchit kids. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Oh, is that right? Yes. Are they the ones that are unnamed? No. Well, Sasha okay. Wells plays Belinda. No one makes a better pudding than you, mother. And Orlando Wells plays Wikipedia lists this character as Michael Cratchit, but they do not name this other kid. Here they are. Yeah. Well, even in the book, it's Martha. Peter, Tiny Tim. And the rest. Yeah. No, and the two smallest Cratchits. Right, yeah. Martha, Peter, Belinda, Tiny Tim, and the two smallest Cratchits. I mean, yeah. there's always Belinda, but that's... Yeah. Any, at any rate, it's a lot of kids. <laughs> it's a lot of kids. our reaction was like, Joey's like, how do you have so many kids? And I'm like, one, <laughs> they're probably Catholic, too. <laughs> um... What I wonder what the child what the um what the child mortality rate was in Dickens' time. I'm not sure. That's yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, higher than now, certainly. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and and what's now is still pretty problematic. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, one one unnamed Cratchit kid is named Michael on Wikipedia, and I didn't <laughs> see it anywhere else. Just Wikipedia decided give this guy a name. 
<laughs> Michael, Michael Cratchit. Michael, okay, yeah. The other one is named in the film. It's very quick. But during dinner, they call her Alice. But on Wikipedia, someone named her Nancy. Probably because she's played by Nancy Dodds. Smell the goose cooking, Martha. Yes, it makes my mouth water. This is her only IMDb credit. It's also the only IMDb credit for the two older Cratchit kids. Kieran Hughes plays Peter Cratchit. That one's real. Peter? Okay, time for the rest of the family. Just testing the cooking, Mother. IMDb also lists some credits as a camera operator, but those also date back to 1984 when he's clearly <laughs> still a kid here, so they messed up. <laughs> so probably not him. No. Uh, and then Martha Cratchit is played by Louise Gasser, who does not play her cute little game where she hides and pretends she isn't there when Bob arrives home with Tiny Tim. She's just there. She's just there. At the end of this movie, it does say, you know, like, okay, here's Belinda Cratchit. And then it's just like other Cratchit children. Cratchit boy. <laughs> Cratchit boy. Cratchit girl. <laughs> it, it's probably their name. Their name. Their real name. Michael. His Orlando. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> that's your that's your uh, alternate. Your alter ego. Michael Orlando. <laughs> Michael Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Ron Mexico. (laughs) Ron Mexico. Oh, dear. (laughs) But when Bob and Tiny Tim come home, the younger Cratchits lift up Tiny Tim and walk him out of the kitchen. And Scrooge remarks, look how they support him. And the ghost is surprised, asking, what did you say? And Scrooge replies, oh, nothing, nothing. You didn't see me feel my feelings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man, you met him earlier. That's why you're not surprised. And that's also why I don't like when they do that sometimes. It ruins this moment of realization that, oh, this is what Bob Cratchit is having to support at home. Right, right. Bob proudly tells his wife of the lame beggar's walk line. He adds, Tim seems to be getting stronger and he has hope. He then takes Peter aside. I met by chance this morning at church a fine gentleman, Fred Hollywell by name. Uh, Okay, that's Scrooge's nephew. They gave him a last name for no reason. (laughs) But here, Fred remembered Bob has a son coming of working age and offered him a job of three shillings and six pence a week starting Monday. Pete is excited because now he gets to help his parents. Bob adds, more importantly, you'll be embarking on a fine career. Scrooge, who is like leaning in a bit more closely to listen to this conversation because, ooh, they're talking about business, scoffs starting the boy at three and six pence a week. No wonder Fred's never been able to put by a penny. Mm-hmm. And the ghost suggests perhaps he's put by more than money, but Scrooge is convinced, no, Fred's doing this despite me. Is that from the book? Because I don't remember that connection ever being made in another version. Parts of it. Like Dickens does have a scene with Bob telling Peter he's lining up a job for him, but I don't think it's explicitly with Fred. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think it is with Fred. I'm looking. I'm I'm double checking. I'm scanning through the text right now. Sure. Uh, and the original text is actually five and sixpence, so they knocked it down to this for some reason. I, I can't even imagine, other than to to show how how little Bob must be making. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that Scrooge would be outraged that that's too high a price. I don't know. Right. I, I kind of like the idea of Fred offering Bob's son a job, though. I do, too, because it's something that Fan would have done. Right, right. And, like, when we see them together... Early, like clearly they they get along. Yeah, he thinks highly of Bob. You know, like Fred genuinely cares. How's your family? 
Right. Exactly. Oh, you got a kid who's who's of working age. Uh, let, I'll put him to work. Yeah, right. It's charity without being charity. Yes. But now it's time for the goose. <laughs> the goose smells so good, mother. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lie, child. <laughs> Bob calls for order and says, Grace, the family says amen. Tiny Tim says amen. Scrooge says amen. And the ghost says, what? You say something? That made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Especially when Scrooge replies, no, no. Oh, I thought I heard. No, I said nothing. <laughs> no, dude. Then Scrooge notes it's a very small goose. I didn't think it was that small. I mean, I guess I guess considering how many people it has to be divided up into and there wouldn't be much in way of leftovers. I guess so. Right. There's eight of them. Yeah. Compared to the one Mickey has, you know. I mean, yeah, the one that's, Mickey has. Right. that's <laughs> a plum. <laughs> a canary. But compared to Scrooge's customary gruel, you would think yeah. it would look pretty generous. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is watered down and, you know, right. more gravy than grave. <laughs> As is customary. Right. But customary. right. Compared to a bowl of honey nut Cheerios, well, it also yeah. looks pretty generous. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but the ghost gets all up in Scrooge's face and says, It's all Bob Cratchit can afford. <laughs> yeah, that rules. I like this ghost of Christmas present. He's so petty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now they watch Tim closely and Scrooge asks if the boy will live. Now he's interested. The ghost says, if these shadows remain unaltered, none other of my species will find him here. Interesting way of putting that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dickens wrote none other of my race, but I kind of like thinking of these ghosts as a whole other species. Mm. And he gives a wry smile and hits Scrooge with his own words about decreasing the surplus population and gets up real close to him and adds, So perhaps in the future you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is. Yeah. This extra feistiness just reminds me that this whole experience is supposed to be uncomfortable for Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Right. We're so used to Ghosts of Christmas presents being jolly and friendly, and this one is too, but he's got a bite to him that's very important to this whole thing. Uh, but now Mrs. Cratchit brings them some figgy pudding. Made with figs? <laughs> and, and, and bacon. bacon. And what? <laughs> what? <laughs> And all the Cratchits watch as Bob takes the first taste, and it's the longest pause in this whole movie before he says, a triumph, my dear. I mean, he's not going to say, he's, he's not going to spit it out and, and say, oh, terrible, you should be ashamed, even if it's the worst thing he's ever eaten. No, I think he's genuine, though. <laughs> that's not the Cratchit way. No, that's right. Scrooge is ready to go by now, but the ghost makes him wait for one more ceremonious moment. Bob toasts the founder of the feast and Scrooge makes a little fake modest, well, yes, thank you, pose. Mm-hmm. Before Mrs. Cratchit sits down defiantly, I like this Mrs. Cratchit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the founder of our feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon and hope he had a good appetite for it. Yeah, she's great. I love that that the children, they either adopted Bob's Toasted to Scrooge or their mother's toast to Scrooge. And you can tell which one's which because some of the kids are are so defiant about it. They're making the same face. Yeah. <laughs> Tiny Tim's all smiles. The other ones, I think Belinda's like scowling. Yeah. 
You can tell because they're their frogs or pigs. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. I, I I did actually picture like one of like like little Belinda and Bettina, like like going like like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Scrooge's takeaway from this scene is, hey, Bob Cratchit's right. He wouldn't have a goose without me. <laughs> Even the ghost admits, is that all you take from this? And Scrooge admits, no, but one must speak up for oneself. Okay. <laughs> I always thought that Scrooge was a little too shy to speak up for himself, honestly. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> But then the Cratchit family moves on to singing Here We Come a Wassailing. That's it. Somebody's got it right. (laughs) (laughs) And now Scrooge and the ghost make their leave and head off to Fred's place. I like how the ghost just feigns ignorance at first when Scrooge asks where they are. Just a street, any street. Let's go in this house here. Yeah. (laughs) Sure enough, it's Fred's party. Here, his wife's playing piano for their guests. She has a given name here. Fred calls her Janet. All right. Mm. Yeah. She also has one in Muppet Christmas Carol where it's Clara. Clara. Yeah. Yeah. But in the book, it's just Fred's wife. Nope. Just Fred's wife. Yeah. I think it's like his his niece, right? Like a couple of times. Scrooge's niece. Yeah. Yeah. Scrooge's niece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, regardless of the of the relation, pretty much. The, the wife's job in this instance is to play piano as accompaniment for your guests. So, sure. sure why not? Right. Hey, dear husband, do you find my playing so amusing? Oh, I'm sorry, my love. Janet Hollywell is played by Caroline Langrish, best known from the British series Lovejoy with Ian McShane. She was also in that 78 Les Mis movie as Cosette. I should not be weirded out by the fact that she has a whole dang name, but (laughs) while she's playing piano, Fred tells his friends about his meeting with his uncle the day before. Fred's sister-in-law mentions, I heard he's rich. And Fred explains, but he doesn't do any good with his money. Doesn't even make himself comfortable with it. And Scrooge defends himself to deaf ears. I never squandered it. Mm. We know he doesn't make himself comfortable. We've seen this house. (laughs) Right here. Here's a bit I think they added. The reason I talk about my uncle, sir, is that my mother, God rest her saintly soul, was very fond of him. She loved him. It's true. Fan loved me and I heard. I like that addition. I think fans often forgotten by this point, either because a lot happens in between or because they just cut her out altogether. But... This is a great reminder that Ebenezer's sister truly cared for him. May have been the only person, well, certainly was the only person in his family who did. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Uh, And this ghost, like Christmas past earlier, points out Fred looks a lot like his mother. Starting to remind me of everyone telling Harry Potter, you have your mother's eyes. (laughs) This Scrooge, meanwhile, is still kind of grumpy. Usually by now, he's already begging the spirit to stay and watch the festivities, but not here. So at this point, I was intrigued to see when that would happen. We do get to see one game. It's not yes and no, but rather one called similes, where you you have about five seconds to finish a saying, like, for example, Fred says, proud as, and someone responds, a peacock. It's dumb. Yeah, I don't like it. But guess what? I mean, there wasn't much to do. (laughs) 
<laughs> I guess true. They yes could have played yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like yes and no in the book is actually it's much straight from the book. I don't know why they changed it. Yeah, I don't know. He asks another woman quick as she doesn't get it in time. Scrooge shakes his head and says a wink, you idiot. <laughs> That's not what I would have said, but OK. I, I no. do love, though, any this scene in, in any iteration where Scrooge is trying to play along and he's like having fun from, you know, beyond and he can't join in and he wants to. Yeah. Scrooge is basically listening to a podcast here, right? <laughs> like, he's a meta. He's acting like he's friends with the hosts, right? Like, <laughs> Guilty. Uh, and it reminded me of, of you know, yeah, we, we immediately were, were like, you know, Patrick Stewart gets so jolly about this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and OK, OK, you know, George C. Scott isn't quite that jolly yet, but he gets into it. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's like spiteful. He just wants to win. Right. Like, that's yes. what I like about yes. it. And and like like you know uh, Bill Murray is is like oh is this there's always some game going on where Scrooge is is kicking himself for not being there. Yes, like the ghost has to shush him, but Scrooge reminds him, "You said they can't see or hear us." <laughs> <laughs> and the ghost apologizes, admits, "Sometimes I forget the regulations. After all, I don't come back very often." You don't come back at all. You're only this year's Christmas. <laughs> you had a whole conversation about your 1800 brothers. It's true. That's how we see Scrooge starting to get into watching this game. He tells the ghost, I'm trying to listen to the game. And I thought of Pee Wee Herman again in the biker bar. <laughs> I'm trying to you use the phone. Oh, that's funny because I thought you were going to say, I'm listening to Raisin. I'm listening to Raisin. <laughs> Next, Fred asks his wife, tight as, and according to Scrooge, the answer should be a drum. That's correct. But Janet goes for the Hollywood Squares comedy answer and says, tight as your Uncle Scrooge's purse strings. (laughs) (laughs) They're always always roasting him at that party. (laughs) Yeah. Scrooge smiles at this, and I think he's starting to get into it as he politely tells the ghost, oh, I'll overlook the laughter at my expense in the view of general gaiety of the evening, but it's time to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have one more visit to make, and as they leave, we hear Fred notably plays silent as, and his friends guess the night, a mouse, and finally the grave, and that is when we rejoin Scrooge in a dark place he doesn't know, and I don't know it either. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought it was the Miner's Village, which is a scene that gets cut out almost all the time. But it appears to be a very large tunnel where a group of homeless people are huddled by small fires, including one family with two young children. I like the scene a lot. It seemed like a set you'd see in a, in a Batman movie, actually. Yeah, actually, it, it reminded me of the cue of Batman the Ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Their father brings some sort of food they're cooking on a stick on the fire. Bread, maybe? I think it's a potato. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I couldn't tell what it was, but the daughter asks, where did you get these, father? And he snaps at her. I didn't steal them, if that's what you're saying. Like, whoa, dude. Scrooge is confused as to why they're here and why these people are outside. Like, there are institutions, he adds. And the ghost asks, have you ever visited any of them? Mm. Scrooge says, no, but I'm taxed for them. Isn't that enough? And the ghost just asks, is it? We see the man tell his wife he wants to take their kids to a parish poorhouse so they'll be better off than where they are now. 
But his wife insists, no, she'd rather drown in the river than go to one of those places and have their family separated forever. And Scrooge is very confused now as to why the ghost is showing him this, why he's showing any of us this. You could have added any scene that already exists, like that miner's village, but I guess even there the point was, look at these people having very little but still celebrating Christmas. Yeah, I, I think it works fine. I've, I, it's never bothered me. I think here it works particularly well because, I mean, Scrooge just assumes everybody can find work. Everybody can go to, you know, to an institution. And mm-hmm. the man, his 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 hands are, are so dirty and cracked. And he's just like, I, I, I work. I work. There's no work available. I'm like that. That kind of drives it home, I believe. Yeah. In this scene. So so maybe maybe there's a little light bulb going off in his head at this point. It's a way of echoing Marley's statement that mankind should have been his business and it's yours too. Right. And then the ghost lifts his robe to show our old pal's ignorance and want. No. I'm always creeped out by them in all their iterations. Well, and again here with the loud trumpets. Look here. Beneath my robe. So I was about to say the exact opposite of that, which is I'm so glad they're here. Because... <laughs> Because I think, like, more than just about anything in the book, this is when Scrooge, like, seeing the children yeah, is when Scrooge truly realizes that his attitude causes actual people to suffer. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's such a, like, bucket of water to, to Scrooge, you know? Like, I think it really wakes him up. And I think that this movie absolutely nails it because it's both heartbreaking and terrifying. I think they kind of even do a better job than Dickens. Like Scrooge asks, what are they? And Dickens wrote, they are man's. But this ghost replies, they're your children. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it works because literally every time we see a Christmas Carol version with ignorance and want, Joey is creeped out and he always goes, ah. (laughs) That's (laughs) That means it's working. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's the point. Yeah. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying they're always unnerving yeah 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 sure sure yeah yeah. good they're supposed to be (laughs) yep i love the ghost's delivery with a smile after scrooge asks if they have no refuge and he parrots scrooge's words back on him are there no workhouses are there no prisons and scrooge almost laughs at this till he begs him to cover them up he doesn't wish to see them and the ghost sneers i thought as much yeah Then he says, the time has come for me to leave you. And this Scrooge is taken aback like, wait, whoa, leave me here. No, take me back to my bed. But too late. I kind of like that change. That part wasn't in the book. Like, usually the ghost is just gone after, are there no workhouses? And the clock strikes 12. Here he lingers for a bit, makes Scrooge sit with his discomfort. Then he laughs this huge belly laugh before disappearing in a blinding light. It's cold. The place is strange, don't we? (laughs) and i love that because right before he takes them to see the the poor family with the ever dripping tunnel um he's like we have we have some time left yeah and and then you know then when 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 scrooge is like well take me back no no we're out of time (laughs) (laughs) nope sorry And he's left in almost complete darkness now. Everyone else in that scene is gone. This is the lighting setup that I wanted to see in his house instead of the bright spotlights, but whatever. (laughs) Now Scrooge admits out loud to himself, perhaps I've made a mistake here and there. 
there we go. All it took was being abandoned in a tunnel. <laughs> in fairness, this can be terrifying to people whose greatest fear is to die alone and abandoned. It's psychologically scary. Mm-hmm. But after a beat, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but not that kind of light. It's the moonlight revealing the dark shadow of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, who, as usual, doesn't speak. But I had the captioning on, and every time he nods or gives Scrooge some other silent gesture of an answer, the caption reads, creaking whale in parentheses. And yeah, Yeah. that's a perfect description of this eerie chalkboard noise we hear. I'm in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, am I not? Yeah, that was amazing. The sound, the I first I thought it was just gonna be the score, and then I was like, oh no, that's like the iteration of him speaking, basically. Is this the yeah, that creaking sound? Yeah, like, do you not speak? Like, speak to me. Like he is. <laughs> you just don't understand it. Yeah. Right. I did not think to look up this actor because you don't see who's under the costume, but did you see who he is? Sure did. It's Michael Carter, who a year earlier was Bib Fortuna in Return of the Jedi. Hanging out with Salacious Crumb. Oh, is that right? Yes. I never knew that. That rules. Yeah. So Scrooge admits his fear of this ghost, but calmly implores it to lead on because time is precious to him. And we enter the future outside the exchange hall, a lot emptier and darker than we saw it in the present. But his former colleagues have the usual discussion about someone dying. I'll go if lunch is provided, but I insist on being fed. For the time I'll waste. (laughs) (laughs) Then all the lights go out, leaving a single spotlight on Scrooge, who asks, have these men no respect for the dead? Dude, you were working when your partner died. (laughs) Guess that doesn't count if Marley wasn't quite dead yet. I don't know. But (laughs) there's a crack of thunder and lightning as we zoom in on Scrooge's door knocker and into a bedchamber with a shrouded corpse. Oh, what did that You create? forgot that one of the businessmen says the line, well, I must, I must go, go and, and find, find the, price the price of corn. Of corn. Goodbye. <laughs> yes, I forgot. <laughs> They're still at it. Yeah. Their whole life is corn. Yeah, that's all. I just love it. It has the juice. It has the juice. Thought you was corn. I thought you <laughs> was corn. <laughs> But there's a crack of thunder and lightning and we zoom in on Scrooge's door knocker and into the bedchamber with a shrouded corpse. It seems like he doesn't know where he is. I guess he didn't notice his own door knocker. I always wonder if Scrooge is going through denial in the scene, like he just doesn't want to admit he knows who it is. I agree. Definitely. Uh, That's going to be more apparent later. Another flash of lightning. Shows a really nice silhouette of the ghost in front of the window, pointing his bony finger at the corpse. And Scrooge reaches for the bedsheet, but stops and refuses to look at it. Tells the spirit he understands that is sufficient for the moment. And furthermore, there must be someone in this city who feels some emotion because of this man's death. So he knows. But still, he plays a little dumb by asking to see anyone else mourning this man. Hmm. Funny how he's so afraid of being left alone and forgotten when that's exactly what he wished to the solicitors. Agreed. Another crack of thunder and we're at old Joe's in what Scrooge calls a foul part of town. But there's a bunch of people cackling and having a lovely time. It's some emotion, at least. Yeah. (laughs) That's what he wanted. 
We meet old Joe, played by Peter Woodthorpe. Well, open it up. This is Joe Burr. I might pay you for goods I haven't seen. I know him best from Ralph Bakshi's animated Lord of the Rings. He was the voice of Gollum. Oh, was that right? Neat. Yeah, maybe that's why he's so intrigued by the rings off his bed curtains. He's a great old Joe, just picture perfect. He's not a giant spider, but... (laughs) Yeah, well, who among us? (laughs) And of course, Mrs. Dilber with the stolen goods. If he wanted to keep him after he was dead, the wicked old screw, why wasn't he more natural in his lifetime? Mm. She is played by Liz Smith, who also played the same role 15 years later alongside Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Oh, wow. Same Mrs. Dilber. Uh, She is best known from the Vicar of Dibley as Leticia and the sitcom The Royal Family as Nana. In Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, she was Grandma Georgina, died on Christmas Eve 2016 at age 95. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, notably here, old Joe examines Scrooge's pocket watch that we've heard chime throughout this movie. Instead of lying there, gasping out his last, mm. alone, yeah. by himself. Mm. That's such a creepy chime. It is! I hated that chime. It's so out of tune. It's so discordant. I, I didn't enjoy it at all. How can you sleep through that? <laughs> Doesn't want to pay to get it fixed. <laughs> But of course, he recognizes it. But his first takeaway from the scene isn't, oh, no, I'm dead. It's, hey, she stole my things. Yeah. But after thinking about it, he goes back into denial. Like, no, those can't be my things. They're similar. But this person they speak of couldn't be me. That's your hang up. But I'm a good boy. (laughs) Now he growls at the spirit. He wanted to see some emotion in connection with this man's death. This is greed and avarice. Let's see some. Tenderness, some depth of feeling. Okay, fine. Another crack of thunder and we're outside the Cratchit's house. And Scrooge said, no, you must be confused. Your fellow spirit brought me here earlier, but we only see the shadow of the ghost's pointing finger toward the door. I like the line here in response. You're devilish hard to have a conversation with. (laughs) Inside, Peter reads from the Gospel of Matthew, suffer the little children to come unto me. While Mrs. Cratchit is sewing something, tells her children this work makes her eyes red, but she won't show red eyes to their father when he gets home. In the book, at least, she is sewing morning clothes. Oh, okay. Like a funeral outfits for her and the children. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was dressed in black. Sure. Right. Yeah. And she's telling them not to cry in front of their dad, who's having the hardest time with what we already know is Tiny Tim's death. Bob enters quietly. Says he walked by Tim's plot where he'll be buried. It's so quiet and green. You shall see it on Sunday. We shall all go on Sunday. I promised him that every Sunday I would walk. Peter asks his father, don't grieve so. He apologizes and tells the other kids, I have all of you a blessing to be thankful for. We do get the dialogue that I don't hear much in these adaptations, but about Bob running into Fred, who saw how he looked sad. And when Bob caught him up, he was heartily sorry for it. Mm. Uh, Mrs. Cratchit gets an added line here saying, Timmy's part of all of us. For his sake, we must go on living. So long as we love one another, 
He will always be alive. And Scrooge acknowledges to the ghost, this is the tenderness and depth of feeling he asked to see. And then the lights go dim. He adds, there's nothing more he needs to see. And again, asks to be taken home. Okay, there's another crack (laughs) of thunder and we're in a dark, rainy graveyard. (laughs) He asked to be taken home. (laughs) This is where you live now. (laughs) But then when Scrooge asks why they're not at his house, the ghost glides across the foreground with his finger pointed. And I guess it's supposed to look creepy, but I laughed so hard because it looks like just wee. <laughs> like maybe he's got a segue under there. I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking like he's on roller skates. <laughs> and now Scrooge plays dumb again. Just tell me what man that was. We saw lying dead and a flash of light illuminates a particular grave by itself in the corner of the graveyard. Yeah. And it says the the richest man in the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this time when the ghost points, the finger is clearly more human than it appeared before. That was weird. Just our skeleton hand broke, but we got to get this take. (laughs) Wipes snow away from his own headstone, which, by the way, this scene is filmed in an actual graveyard. And that's some old headstone. They asked permission to re-engrave with Ebenezer Scrooge's name. Wow. I thought it was a soundstage. That's some other person's grave. You could go visit it. It is in the graveyard at St. Chad's Church in Shrewsbury, England. Yeah. The original inscription has deteriorated so much as to be unreadable, but you can still see what's left of the original engraving on one end and Ebenezer Scrooge on the other. Wow. Wow, there's a different answer to the question, whose lonely grave is this? (laughs) It's a duplex. (laughs) And now Scrooge, in tears, begs that the spirits say that he may change these things by an altered life. Say that I may change these things by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. I like the camera work here. We pan up from Scrooge kneeling in front of his own grave to the towering height of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, just pointing and not moving. I like the camera work. What I don't understand about the scene, what I've never understood about the scene is... Does Scrooge think that he's never going to die? Because you're going to die. I mean, <laughs> at some point, we're all going to die, right? Like, um, so why are you surprised that at some point you have died? Yeah, I think it's just hubris, you know? I I think sure. I understand that. I'm just saying, like, I mean, you know, the reactions to your death will be different, but you're still going to die. I get it. I, sure. I don't know why you don't, but. Right, right. I don't know if it's just, why did you put me through all this if I'm just going to be dead anyway? Mm-hmm. Am I going to have a chance to change or not? Yeah. But And after all my questioning of George C. Scott's portrayal of Scrooge being more stubborn than I would have liked, when he finally closes his eyes in desperation here and vows to honor Christmas in his heart and keep it all the year, I believe every word. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's like we talked earlier about how he's so excited about being a jerk. Yeah. And honestly, that's why I buy his transformation. Mm-hmm. Because, like, we know from real life that people who kick one habit 
pick up another one very eagerly, you know, or something like if you're if if, if you're a person who gravitates towards things, becomes uh, you know fixated on things, that's not going to change. So if Scrooge has always like been very happy about being mean to other people, I buy more readily that he then like invests himself fully in his new new outlook. Yeah, y- you know, like like if he was just kind of like a sad old man it doesn't make as much sense to me that he becomes a, you know so so generous i guess i don't yeah. know sure that's one of the reasons this is my favorite version yeah no it's very powerful uh, especially after the hard cut from scrooge slowly collapsing in tears on his headstone to a close up of his big balding head sobbing into his bed sheets <laughs> and he takes a few seconds to realize he's back in his own room and quietly says thank you spirit I will keep my promise. It's a quick cut, but it really works. Mm-hmm. We've watched a few adaptations where they go to commercial before they cut from the graveyard to the bedroom, and I hate when they do that. <laughs> this one waits till we're back in Scrooge's bedroom and then fades to commercial. I still think it might be a little too quickly, but it's better. I like the trans. Obviously, the transformation in this case is, is well done. I... Mm, it's, it it doesn't always sit well with me that basically he needs to be bribed. Like, sure, well, well, you you want tenderness, okay? Well, it's it's I don't know, I don't know how to put it exactly. How did I put it? I don't remember. But I think you did use the word bribe, and I don't think that's the yeah. exact verb you're but looking it's, for it's, here. It's like it's like okay, well, if you do this, then we'll give you this. You know, right? It's sort of sort of like you're still asking for something in exchange for something. It's still a transaction. Yeah. Well. I think that was part of the whole deal. Yeah. So he's still doing business. It's just not with corn. He's still doing business. Uh, And it's still dark when we return to Scrooge's bedroom. But after we come back from commercial, the church bells chimes nine o'clock. Scrooge fell back asleep. (laughs) I've never seen that before. He's tired. He had a long night. He he really did. Yeah. (laughs) He fell back asleep and crashed until nine. We see him wake up on the floor next to his bed on his knees with his head resting on the mattress, has no idea what day it is, which I mentioned before. Opens the window and asks the boy running on the street what day it is. Hello, you there, boy! Me, sir? Yes, you, my good fella. What day is today? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day, of course. Kid's name is Ian Giles. This is his only credit. I thought he was great. Did a great job. (laughs) I like George C. Scott's giddiness here in the stark contrast from how he's been almost this entire time. It's one of the best versions of the of the Christmas morning scene. I, I was light. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as mad as a schoolboy. Yeah, I agree. We see him kick off his shoes dance around with his own bathrobe, jumps on the bed. Yes. It's both very remarkable and very believable. Well, and I love when he's when he's talking to the kid and he says, go get the prize turkey. And the kid says, what, the one as big as me? And he says, delightful boy, a pleasure talk. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> just like, oh, what a fine boy. What a good boy. Like Remarkable yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Steps outside, pays him his well-earned crown, half crown, excuse me, and directs the poulterer to send it to Bob Cratchit in Camden Town and tell him only it's from a friend. Yeah. Tips him very well as he heads out in his best suit. Which is in the book. I mean, you often, 
adaptations have Scrooge bring it over there. Yeah. Or show up at his employee's house and say, hey, I'm nice now. Cook me Christmas dinner. (laughs) And that's not in the book. You know, he spends Christmas with his family, as he does here. And I like that he doesn't force himself over to Bob Cratchit's house. It's much nicer. Um, Well, last year I watched an an adaptation. It was a silent film from 1910, I believe. And they do it in that. Scrooge shows up at the Cratchit's in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that's in the the Kino Christmas Past collection. Yeah, I've seen Mm -hmm. that. I like that that it's anonymous because you can guess who it would be from, but it's not um it's it's nicer for it to be uh to be anonymous because then it's actually charitable yes right that and bob cratchit also is never gonna guess mm-hmm. <laughs> you can try to guess it's not gonna work <laughs> nope it will be the last person he thinks of but scrooge even tips the choir singing outside the exchange compliments them on their singing like angels and here, of course, is where he also meets and almost walks right past the two solicitors. Michael Goff giving him a cold Mr. Scrooge, <laughs> who apologizes and whispers his mystery donation. And the men are now overjoyed at his generosity. Mm-hmm. We don't resolve the uh, the great corn exchange, but <laughs> <laughs> we do get to see the turkey delivered to Bob Cratchit. And this turkey still has all the feathers on it and everything. It's a lot of work for Mrs. Cratchit. Yeah, Yeah. it's like way too much work. It's a white turkey that Bob brings inside for all the family to stand around and admire before they have to pluck it themselves. It's true. And then, you know, gut it and then. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Properly cut it. Yeah, that is now their Christmas. But (laughs) Tiny Tim gives us a God bless us all, everyone. And here his whole family repeats it. And God bless us all. Everyone. And God bless us all. Everyone. And I think that's an iconic scene from this particular version. I feel like I've seen it in a lot of promos for it. Yeah. We then follow Scrooge to his nephews, where inside we see Fred give his wife a very nice gold bracelet. She admits it's much too expensive, but she loves it. So Fred tells her, well, then it belongs on your wrist. Just a cute little moment. Before we hear Scrooge tap on the window and Fred is shocked to see his uncle who softly asks if he may come in and Fred obliges, introduces him to his wife, Janet, who's just as surprised. And here, Fred actually calls him out, not harshly, but he says, hey, yesterday you told me you had no intention of coming. What up with that? (laughs) Those are the exact words. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Scrooge tells Fred he's here for three reasons. A. To beg your pardon for things he said about Christmas, that was a humbug, Fred. Mm. Two, to meet his wife, and to that end, he tells Fred he was in love once, but didn't have the courage, optimism, nor the depth of feeling that Fred and his wife have. Which is a nice addition. Mm. And D, to accept his invitation if it's still open. And of course it is. And here, this part's silly. He starts chatting with Fred's wife. Hey, y'all like games? You ever play similes? Well, listen, (laughs) someone says tight ads. The answer is a drum. The SS Minnow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, old man. Uh, Scrooge then tells Fred. You'll forgive me for saying this, but I see the shadow of my sister in your face. I loved your mother, Fred. For a time there, I... 
forgot just how much I loved him. Both Fred and Janet tell him he's made them very happy, and he says, God forgive me for the time I've wasted. Mm -hmm. This is a sweet little addition to what's usually a much shorter scene. Yeah. 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 It's nice. Well, and I, I think that it goes along with the scenes with fan. Yeah. Know? And like just Scrooge's family is more important here than in, in many, many versions. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's good. Mm-hmm. And finally, we fade into the next morning. Scrooge arrives at his office and is delighted to find Bob Cratchit not there all the bit earlier, as promised. And here comes Bob running to the door, fumbling for his keys when the door opens by itself, or so it seems, and music turns ominous as he realizes he's been caught late for work. Slowly ducks through the doorway. That's a really low doorway into this building. You kept saying that the whole time. Every doorway you have to duck, even without your five foot top hat. You know, it's it, it's it's a door that would comfortably fit me. I'm five three. So, <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a thing in that era of London or maybe it was. Yeah, it, it actually could have been because people used to be a lot smaller. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, David Warner is six foot two. So, yeah. yeah. Also, that, you know. But no, everybody has trouble getting through doorways in this movie. Right. It's right. not just, it's not just Scrooge's office. I thought at first, well, he probably couldn't be bothered to pay for a taller doorway, but then it's like <laughs> Cratchit's own house. It's everywhere. But oddly, after the door opens and Bob hurries in, there's no sign of his boss. Bob looks around worriedly, strikes a match to light the candle, and from the other room, we hear him shout, Mr. Cratchit! We find out he's 18 and a half minutes late for work. But this is the usual trick before Scrooge happily reveals he's going to, he says, double his salary here and tosses a bag of money at a shocked Bob Cratchit <laughs> and bursts in the laughter. It's great. <laughs> double my salary, son. <laughs> <Bob>. <laughs> <laughs> a Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> You can see the terror on Bob's face. Like, like maybe that's worse. Like, I expected you to yell at me, but now you're just throwing money at me. <laughs> Vows to help his family and Tim will walk again, Scrooge says. And okay, that has sold me on the scene where he meets Tiny Tim outside earlier. That is worth it for this moment. Who did not die. It's coming. <laughs> yes. Not as good as Gonzo's delivery, yeah. but yeah, well, but the narrator plays us out with the usual ending and we cut to Tiny Tim running and leaping into Scrooge's arms that I liked Yeah, <laughs> seeing Tim run. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's very powerful. And I sure hope people realized it <laughs> as they walk down the snowy street together. Great ending. <laughs> and so as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Final thoughts on this version of A Christmas Carol. It's really wonderful. Yeah, it's a great version. Like I said, I'm, I'm glad we watched it. Uh, George C. Scott is great. Like I've been saying over, I, I like, uh, we've talked about adding the depth back in about Scrooge's family and his backstory. That really, really helps a lot. Understand him as a character and not just that he's just a miserable miser. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was really wonderful. It's just, you know, one more uh, version to keeping your brain Comparing to all the other ones, it, when I've seen Mickey's Christmas Carol, you know, 35 whatever times in my life, it's just all has to stack up to like, what was in that version? 
This is the natural thing to do is compare the two and then they all sort of meld in your brain. And I am really interested in, in this weird patchwork Frankenstein <laughs> yeah. monster Christmas Carol we're all talking yeah. about here. <laughs> awesome. There is a YouTube video. Is it is it 1,200 ghosts? Have any of you seen that thing? No. It's no. a lot of ghosts. Yeah, 1,200 ghosts. So it's clips from 400 different adaptations oh, of the Christmas Carol. Nice. So it's It's been done. Yeah, but it's like, it's super fast. It's less than an hour okay. long. It's 400 different versions, you know? <laughs> uh, but I definitely recommend it. You should, you should put it in the show notes, Mike. It's, yeah, I'm going to have to. Yeah. If you Google 1200 ghosts, it'll it'll show up. Perfect. Um, I'm just, I'm so relieved that everybody enjoyed it. Like, yeah. I mean, I've been on the show before, but I had never met Joey and Aaron. I didn't know if you guys were going to come on here and be like, this is this TV movie is bad. I'm the devil's advocate. No. Right, right. And that would have been fine, you know, whatever. But if I were on the Rudolph one, that that w- I would have been that character, yes. But you know, like... for the for the the stop motion Rudolph. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, but so this I don't know, it's just fun to talk about it, just because I this movie means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. So it was it was fun to come on and talk about it. Thanks for having great. me. Great. Absolutely. That's my final thought. Yeah, this is a lot of people's favorites. I totally understand that. It's very good. Uh, They added a lot more than I was expecting. A lot of people are saying this is the most book accurate one I've seen. And and it is very book accurate. But I was surprised at how much they expanded on Scrooge's relationship with his sister. They added in his father, that homeless family in the tunnel. This is all new stuff, but it all works. It doesn't feel out of place to the point where I guess some people thought they belonged there. I mean, the corn exchange is <laughs> we're, we're, we're rising on it, but it is it is I think it's useful and it's a whole invention here. Yeah, it works. It's not like they had him using an IBM computer or something like they shoved that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining the Saved by the Bell Moody store for men. Yeah, right, right. I, I'm putting all my investments in this new computer. <laughs> no. no. Going to help me count my corn. Yeah. <laughs> That would, does sound like an 80s commercial. I mean, we were talking about the Honey Nut Cheerios commercial. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, would not surprise me at all if there was, like, Ebenezer Scrooge getting a computer to help with Sure, his yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he ate Honey Nut Cheerios. He had threw a party with Chicken McNuggets. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Sell some IBM computers, yeah. <laughs> oh, but thank you all for helping me wrap up another season of the Advent Calendar House. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Oh, if you like nice round numbers, this has been episode 150. Wow. Well, just also, I think this is the second season in a row where I was on the finale talking about a Christmas carol. Hey, yeah. Wasn't Flintstones Christmas carol last in July? It was. Yeah, it it just worked out that way. Yeah, weird. Thanks for letting me make that my signature on your show. I really (laughs) absolutely. Well, if people want to anonymously send you an entire turkey to pluck by yourself, where can they find you on the internet, Aaron? Uh, on the uh, platform formerly known as Twitter, Ms. Aaron M. Evans. Joey. You can find me on Twitter at I'm gonna DJ24. And you can hear me on YNET Radio. We are just about to do our year-end countdown, the top 223 songs of 2023. I was on another podcast recently and described it as a Faustian bargain that we made with ourselves to add one more number every year. (laughs) And Anthony. 
Um, I have recently returned to public-ish social media. Uh, I I got rid of Twitter a long time ago, but I am on Blue Sky now. Uh, Derwood Clapper is my name on Blue Sky <laughs> after a very obscure and uninteresting Muppet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you can you can find me there. Should I do I do I plug my podcast? I can do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Anything you want. Sure. Um, I am also the co-host of a podcast called Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast where uh, we watch Muppet movies two minutes at a time. And that's me and a, another friend of mine who writes for toughpigs.com, uh, Ryan Rowe. And we watch Muppet movies two minutes each episode. And we did a whole season on Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. So if you want to hear me talk about A Christmas Carol a lot more for some reason, <laughs> you can on, on Moving Right Along. And we will be back hopefully soon with Muppet Treasure Island. But uh, oh, that'll be I'm this so spring. excited. That'll be this spring sometime. Love it. Thank you. All of those links are in the show notes as well and on the web at adventcalendar.house. There's also a link there to follow me wherever I wish to be found these days. And you can take it from there. But now it's time to settle down for a long winter's nap, but this year it won't be quite as long as usual because 2024 is a leap year. Yay! And that also means it's an election year. Yeah, well. <laughs> a major election. <laughs> but meet me back here for a very special Leap Day episode on February the 29th. Talk to y'all then. For now, for Aaron, Joey, and Anthony, from my unusually brightly backlit hallway that's supposed to have no lights, <laughs> this is Mike Westfall saying, only one more sleep till Christmas. Unless you get a nap in, you should get a nap in. You've earned it. <laughs> Watch out for the icy patch and have a lovely Christmas, y'all. Merry Christmas, everyone. And God bless us, everyone. <laughs> This season of the Advent Calendar House is dedicated to the memory of my friend, Jason Gross. Making his debut on the Retro Network, host of the Advent Calendar House podcast, and the gift that keeps on giving the whole year, Mike Westfall. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. I was not expecting to be first. <laughs> well, you are the guest uh, making your debut. So, yes. Happy to be here. Glad you are here, sir.
East is East, and West is West, and the wrong one I have chosen. Let's go where you'll keep on wearing those da da da's and bobadoes and things and buttons and buttons and bows. 